0: I had a pilot and a podcast. Wish I had a strong donkey that can haul ass and travel with portable speakers playing Boz I Wish I had a million dollars. I wish I had a million albums. I wish I had a million problems that way I couldn't pinpoint all one million outcomes. I wish I found a genie lamp. I wish them girls gave me them sugar like beanie man. Yeah. I wish I was a comedian, late night sitcom syndicated on TV land. I wish this well had water in it. These kids are stealing all my pennies. Focused on my wealth. You can help me wish, but I would rather wish the help. It's like it's like I wish, I wish. That every time we love and it feels just like this. I wish, I wish. That every time we do it, it feels just like this. I wish, I wish. That every time we love and it feels just like this. It feels just like this. It feels just I wish I had a time machine, wish I had a better rhyming speed, wish that I could speak to giants after climbing up a green stalk that grew from my lime bean. I wish that I could spread my wings, nah. I wish that I had seven limbs, yeah. that way I'd hold on to everything and laugh when I hear people wishing for the better things. I wish I spoke fluent Spanish. Deemme lo, deemme lo. At least I kind of understand it. <laughs> wish that I could throw the deuce like Gambit and get so large I could play pool with the planets. Hello,
1: cats and I kittens, and welcome me. to another episode of The I Debrief. I, I am your host, Focus Brianna Joy Gray, and I am I very excited to like talk about I I like, today's episode Ain't Black. Let me tell you, <laughs> I'm not over it. <laughs> I'm not over one of Joe Biden's finest moments and it makes me crazy that no one else seems to care that he truly just said that and then waltzed into the presidency. But never mind. not Let me, let me not pour cold water, I guess, on, on Joe Biden during his moment of glory. As I'm sure you're aware, everybody is crediting him a great deal for avoiding the red wave that was much anticipated Tuesday night. Uh, He made an allusion. We talked about this on the Hill this morning. He alluded to uh, him running in 2024. Robbie seems fairly certain that he will do so and that he will face no challengers. I'm a little less certain than that, at least in the challenger's point of view. I hope at least that somebody, some progressive, some non-establishment character, some forward party candidate just at least throws their hat in the ring. Otherwise, we're going to be looking at another 2020 matchup. Between Joe Biden and Donald Trump, although that might not be the case. I'm sure you guys have all seen the fracas, the shade thrown between uh, Ron DeSantis, or as Trump called him, what did he call him? Ron, uh, something about him being uptight. Uh, Ron de, de Insecure, Ron, Ron de Sanctimonious. Oh, Ron Sanctimonious, something like that. He's still workshopping his jabs, but I have in our our guy will come through with some entertaining. Repartee during the uh, Republican primary season. Anyway, this this episode is obviously titled "Ain't Black," because it's something that anyone who doesn't fall in line and vote for Democrats and who is also of African descent, it's something a sentiment that is often directed in our direction. And because this week's episode was a conversation with Coleman Hughes, who identifies—I'm sorry—I didn't mean any disrespect by characterizing him as a conservative. I saw that caused some consternation online. I mean, that's how I thought he identified. But um, let's say an alternative thinker, someone who enjoys, um, you know, Thomas Sowell and who pushes back against some, um, you know, kind of commonly held mainstream views on race, et cetera, in America. You know, you're, you're considered to be an outsider. You're called names like Uncle Tom, et cetera. And I have some sympathy for that as someone who gets those kinds of attacks from the left. You may know me as the Candace Owens of the left, LOLs. Um, So I called it Ain't Black because I do feel like that's a point of commonality for us, something that we've both been described as, but obviously we have very different political beliefs, which we unpacked in today's episode. I didn't have really strong thoughts and feelings about what I wanted to discuss with him other than I wanted to talk about uh, the Candace Owens and Kanye West stuff, but as you guys know from listening to the episode all of which is in video format over on Bad Faith YouTube, if you haven't had a chance to see it yet. Um, we talked about a whole lot of stuff and ended up doing like 30 minutes something from the police, which was not my intention. But which I think was kind of useful and productive and interesting. So I see the queue is queuing, so I won't keep blathering on any longer. Alex, what's on your mind?
2: Hey, can you hear me?
1: Ooh, why are you so quiet to me? Wait a minute. Am I very I my quiet? Thought. No, 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 It was my fault. I had the soundboard was down, but you're good now, Alex.
2: Oh, great. Well, I'm honored to be first, um, and I, I do have to actually run fairly shortly. Um, I kind of wanted to talk about midterms. Um, sure. I feel like there's so much to talk about and, and takeaways. Um, I feel like the results kind of, um, I don't know, <laughs> prove that the left is right, um, mm-hmm. that issues matter, running on issues matter, Uh, and those candidates won and um so i i guess i feel kind of (laughs) validated i suppose um Mm -hmm. i think it's been kind of entertaining to watch the the punditry kind of like shift their tune immediately as the results were coming in like I was watching, like, Breaking Point's stream, um, Mm -hmm. and at the beginning of the night, they were all, you know, kind of red wave, red wave, and then, Mm -hmm. you know, as the night goes on, you you know, I I wasn't, I was watching it kind of off and on, but they definitely, like, shifted their tune, obviously, and um, I I don't know. I find it kind of entertaining, mostly, because I'm like, I don't know. Like, pundits don't know anything. They literally don't. Like, I I don't know. That
1: is very true. Let me tell you, I mean, the certainty with which everyone was talking about the red wave, I mean, so in, in the pundits' defense it is always the case like i don't think it's ever not been the case that you that the party in power hasn't gotten you know thrashed during midterms now the question is the degree to which you get thrashed and that combined with the economy not being good gas prices being what they are the pandemic blah 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 you know it it did seem very likely and i will confess i i watched on tuesday after i got home from rising i spent the day trying to watch a bunch of debates and interviews and such from candidates that I wasn't familiar with. I haven't been following the Nevada races, um, the West Coast races as closely as I had been Pennsylvania and Georgia. And I like scared the shit out of myself watching Carrie Lake. I was just convinced that she was going to be the first female president of the United States of America. (laughs) You know, Hobbs came off as very kind of school marmish and like – like a very kindly teacher who someone tricked into going up on the stage, but who didn't really have her wits about her. And then to have the, I don't know if they've actually called that race yet, but to have, to have her even in the running. I have, yeah. Like I, I, I have was, I was a hundred percent bought in. I was like ready for us to, I shouldn't say us, but ready for the Democrats to get spanked.
2: Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, I was too. And I, I feel like I, <laughs> I mean, watching Rising is entertaining, I feel like, in, like, the day or so before, um, the, the midterms, like, Robbie seems to really, like, enjoy being a pundit and, like, making predictions, and
3: <laughs> I, I test
2: more hesitancy from you to, like, sort of make any sort of definitive, like, case.
3: For, um, this is a loser's game! It is, it is! Did we
1: not lo- learn anything well, from the Say, dude, You're smarter
2: than him. Um, <laughs> so, it, it, you know, I'm enjo- I am enjoying that, um, I, I actually have to run because I have a meeting in like a okay. couple of minutes. Um, okay. So glad I was able to get in a, a little bit, but I'll let you kind of move on to other callers. Um, yeah,
1: I'm glad you got in, Alex. Nice to hear from you.
2: All right. Keep it the going.
1: All right. Chris Brown. Also, Jam, I see that you're struggling and that you keep getting kicked off out of the queue, but I saw you. So just get back in and I'll, and I'll pull you back from, from the fathoms. All right, Chris Brown, what's on your mind?
4: Uh... Yeah, I wanted to actually talk about the election, but I thought um, this last um, this last um, convo you had with uh, the guy Coleman, like that was actually really interesting. And then I was sitting, I was like, first I was a little bit turned off by it because typically when you know I have the gaze of sometimes when you hear black Republican, the automatic face always comes up Candace Owens, so you just always think that's kind of what you want to go about it. But like actually listening to him and like I was like, oh okay, like this is a guy who kind of has like. um... I think he makes good faith arguments and I think mm-hmm. that's the problem. So like, so when you, even though he said like, um, he had a couple of things that he said that, you know, of course like will trigger you at first though. But then it's like, if you actually like talk to him and actually listen to him, it's like, he seems more on the idea of he would like to find a solution as opposed to just like shitting on people and stuff. Mm-hmm. So, but um, as far as uh the election, hmm. so I'm not going to lie. I was kind of bought in on the whole, not necessarily the red wave, but I was kind of bought in on the idea that Republicans was going to take a good majority of the House and then maybe a, a Senate seat or two. Mm-hmm. And I'm not even going to lie. I was a little shocked about that. Like, um. so my first question to you is, was the Democrats right? Well, uh,
1: that's a big, that's a big <clears throat> question. Are they right about what? Are they right about blue being a more flattering color for me than red?
4: Yes. <laughs> okay. Yeah, so <laughs> what I mean by about uh, the Democrats are right, as far, because so... I know you criticized their strategy and I actually, I think we all criticized their strategy of the idea that they just ran on abortion and they ran on you know, mm-hmm. um, January 6th. And it was kind of like, yeah, you guys are going to get cream cause like you're kind of out of touch, but it's looking like that, that worked. So, and it was bigger than what it was.
1: Yeah, my feeling was never that they shouldn't run an abortion. My yeah. feeling was that they shouldn't run an abortion to the exclusion of other issues, right? And I still yeah. think that that's true. Even if abortion saved the Democrats, and I said this this morning on Rising, it I was is, like, is. this is stolen valor. Like it's, everyone's yeah. giving Joe Biden so much credit that abortion is owed. <laughs>
3: mm. <laughs> like, so
1: I, I think that even though it saved them this time around, who knows how long that's going to last. You know And yeah. so I do think it's important for Democrats to establish that they actually meaning you know plan to meaningfully provide for for people, especially if they continue to be in power and they don't do anything to actually codify abortion. Like that's <laughs> then we're gonna get back into this place where it's like you schmucks, you know, <laughs> you just use this as a bully pulpit, and we're tired of you again, and we're gonna mm-hmm. end up in that like 2010 zone. Um, but so I do think that people underestimate. I mean, we had a test case. We saw what happened in Kansas. We saw the turnout. Mm-hmm. And we saw even in a red state that they weren't messing around with abortion rights. And, and even so, in I the do, right, so I do. Right. So I do think that like pundits. Didn't credit enough the example we had already seen in Kansas and extrapolate to how that was going to affect turnout in midterms. I also think that the part of this equation that is not getting enough credit is the youth turnout, which was
3: yeah. the highest it's
1: ever been, except for in 2000, you know, it's about what it was in 2018, matched for like number one turnout.
4: And Do you that still was- vindicate it? on that yes because the look you gave gave robbie on rising when y'all was talking about like um um as far as like cancel student loan debt Mm -hmm. he literally had no argument because it was like yeah it turned yeah
1: it yes it turned people out now i have mixed feelings about that because i think that lying biden is lying biden and we'll see if that money ever hits anybody's bank account exactly but i you know i think the inducement worked And when I was listening to something – oh, this is in a pod save, I think. They're a pre-election episode from Monday, I guess. And they interviewed some folks on the ground. I think they were in Nevada. Mm
3: -hmm. I think
1: they were in Nevada. They might have been in Arizona. I forget. But they were out west somewhere. And uh, someone said – someone said, like, explicitly referenced abortion, right? Someone explicitly referenced student debt as for why they were turning out and knocking doors. And somebody said – explicitly re- referenced saving democracy so like maybe the like i do think that there's some democrats at least the kind that um turn out in these things that do care about even that democracy point um mm-hmm. but i do think that the, the student debt piece is not getting nearly enough credit
4: yeah it's kind of not it really yeah it actually really isn't like i've i've seen like a couple pundits at least attribute to like you know the young uh voter turnout and i know biden in his little uh in his little uh meeting, I mean uh his little um speech that he gave, he kinda did credit like the youth vote though. But yeah, like and it's so crazy because when you think about it, Democrats were literally shitting or we're gonna say Dems, not the progressive, but like mm. Dems were shitting on this, the whole idea of canceling student loan debt. And it was like, oh, this thing actually came out and it's like Yeah, when you actually do stuff for people, you energize them, you give them a reason. On top of the fact of abortion and stuff, though, yeah, you did something for them. So they came out and they kind of saved y'all butts in a long way. Because I know Robbie was saying, like, had that not happened and it would have been the red wave, Republicans in 2024, because obviously how the things with gerrymandering and everything, 2024, they still would have been able to pick up, you know, Democrats would still would have been on a disadvantage and could have picked up more seats. So they could have had a potentially a 60- Yes, right, yes. and you know,
1: you know what two blue dog clowns ha-
3: did not <laughs> yep. like
1: student debt. Katherine uh, Cortez Mast- Masto, who's about to, hanging on the edge of her teeth, probably going to lose um, in Nevada.
4: And Tim Ryan, great and old Tim, Tim
1: Ryan. Loser
4: Ryan <laughs>
3: of
1: the great state of Ohio, with his dumb loser <laughs> face. <laughs> You know, you had that lovely young woman, Morgan Harper, on the show back in the fall, who was his primary opponent. And the main argument they were using against her, apart from just ignoring her, was that, oh, this is an important race and J.D. Vance and blah, 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 blah. Do you know what would have helped turn out in the Democratic parts of Ohio? You know, where black people live? Yeah. (laughs) It might have been having a fresh young black woman on the ticket who wasn't afraid of talking about things like student debt that are hurting the people of Ohio.
4: Well, Bree, you know that you can't necessarily say that because Stacey Abrams did not win in Georgia. So you can't well, say it. Well, she didn't it, care well-
1: about any of this stuff either. Okay. <laughs> so let's, let's, let's talk about Stacey Abrams. I, I confess, I haven't been watching every single one of her appearances. I mean, like I saw her shimmy at the mulatto concert or whatever, young i'm sorry oh, what's her new name I'm, yeah I
4: lotto, um, lotto. I saw a tweet that was so funny it was it was like um uh, damn i bet stacy uh stacy abrams really pissed off that she went to that lotto concert for nothing <laughs> i was on the floor crying I, like,
1: can we just talk for a second like i yes. don't understand like i obviously understand why she no longer wants to go as mulatto i don't know who told her that was a good idea in the first place <laughs>
3: but like
1: why are we playing games like it's like um what was what's the what's it's like the Dixie Chicks. Like going by the chicks. It's like the damage is done. Let's just yeah. like I'm not calling them the chicks. I'm not doing that. <laughs> okay,
4: I'm sorry. I'm
1: sorry. Well, anyway, no, I, uh,
4: okay, I'm go gonna, ahead. I was go gonna, ahead. gonna give you a perspective. I guess with Lotto is obviously it's a lot it was a lot of controversy and then you know how social media is, especially with with like um with the industry and more so like hip hop and everything like that. Like that that name brought a lot of that culture, you know, inner you know, the inner stuff between dark skin, women, light skin. I do know. And then all that, all that kind of stuff. And I think she was just like, you know what? Let me just stay on and Let me, I actually think it was smart for her not to do that. Cause she could have been bullheaded and she could have did it, but then it just would have turned a no, lot. No, no, out.
1: I'm not advocating for her to continue to be calling herself mulatto, but I just Googled mm-hmm. it. apparently this young woman's name is Alyssa Michelle Stevens. And if it's good enough for <laughs> Alyssa's mother, it's good enough for me. <laughs>
4: yeah. She has a whole white mom. Yeah, she definitely does. <laughs>
1: Okay, I'm sorry. Nobody here cares about Big yeah, Lotto. You're
4: right, you're right. I'm, I'm at, yeah, shout out to Big Lotto. Though. Shout out, shout Big out Lotto. to Big Lotto. I'm
1: sure she's a lovely yeah. young woman. But let me tell you Stacey Abrams, and I say this as a sympathetic, non dancing black woman, can, <laughs> has no rhythm whatsoever, and needs to just stand there and wave and not try to do any shimmying with Kerry Washington or any of this other nonsense. Know your lane, girl. Guest star on Star Trek,
4: <laughs> run her office, don't no, not- shimmy. Do people not realize that the idea of being a nerd is, like, really cool and, like, being into that kind of stuff? That's yes. cool. Like, people really like that as opposed to you trying hard. Like, no offense. Like, I know, like, um, as far as, like, the, com- uh, the conversations that happened with Stacey Abrams and everyone was talking about, like, what was her disconnect. I can tell you what her disconnect was. Mm-hmm. If your whole pitch and your whole thing was, A, hey, I want to talk to the black men in Atlanta and everything like that. Don't bring 21 Savage to all your events. Because Dave probably <laughs> had a great a joke about this. It's like about the Ja Rule joke. You know, when 9-11 happened, they brought on Ja Rule. And it's like, who the fuck cares what Ja <laughs> Rule thinks That's about time like this? Job. Who the fuck cares what 21 Savage <laughs> thinks? Come on. When it comes to election, I'm not listening to 21 Savage for some fucking policy. Come on. Yeah. Yeah, and she brought out all sure. the hip hop, all that, and she tried to lean into that, and it it was just so cringy. And then that yeah. no fucking, no voting, whatever that BS Ooh. was, it was
1: like it, it's like responsible I'm, for that.
4: The white people who are managing her shit—that's telling her that's how she reach out to black people.
1: Wait, wait, wait—that that literally came from her campaign because I thought that was like kind of like an independent. Like she kind
4: of yeah no um I'm, I'm, so let me. You can correct me if I'm wrong in the uh, in the group chat and everything like that, but I'm pretty sure she was like the face of like that was like started around in the Atlanta area and everything. So okay, let me. I'm just not guess. sure. I know Killer Mike said something, and I know Killer Mike was like, "Yeah, that was like almost insulting to bl-. like Yeah, as a black person, you honestly, I was insulted when I I didn't even want to I didn't even want even like my like sphere. Like, I saw it, and I was like, yeah, I'm not going to click on that, because I'm not about to watch this bullshit and this do, nonsense.
1: Do you guys in the chat, do you guys know what we're talking about, the no voting, no Because y- Yeah. Uh, uh, what, I, was that can... Stacey Abrams? So.
4: That's why I asked the
1: camp. I'm trying to figure it out. I see a Fox News. I'm trying to avoid this Fox News article. This Fox <laughs> News article <laughs> is saying, Michelle Obama's voting initiative partners with dating app that made no voting, no fucking video. Oh, so I yes. think it was, because it was this dating app. But it's not clear to me that it's, like, actually Stacey Abrams' campaign or any actual politician that's involved.
4: So I could be wrong, so I'll not kill Stacey Abrams for that part of it. But I will kill her for the 21 Savage. Uh, yeah. Who else? All, trying to bring all the hip-hop artists into Atlanta to have a conversation with black men. And it was like, yeah, dog, I think, like, you, it's that same thing. It's like, you just think we're stupid, right? Like, mm-hmm. I don't care that 21 Savage, because, like I said, who – cares what 21 savage thinks about politics
1: did she even do like did she do a lot of like black radio did she even i'm like I'm, I'm not trying to reduce all black radio to Charlamagne the god god bless yeah. his heart but like did she even do breakfast club
4: she did do breakfast club she did it at the end though literally the last day so the last so um, really the day of the vote she went on breakfast club i think she had like a 10 minute um, in, uh interview i didn't watch it because yeah it's like under like why i still think the breakfast club is one of the best platforms that black people have especially with charlemagne because he's not like a partisan guy well i mm-hmm. guess people will argue that he is partisan but he i think he don't give a fuck about politics enough that he's going to ask what mm-hmm. que- he's going to ask the right questions as opposed to coddle them and everything mm-hmm.
1: like that. he certainly oh he was he was oh. destroying people throughout the 2020
4: mm-hmm yes he does rightfully so
1: he murked elizabeth warren do you remember that yeah,
4: he, he tanked her whole campaign <laughs> I, I swear if she never done that interview she would have not have <laughs> been below five <laughs> points at her in her own state he literally tanked her whole way he called her the uh the, uh, the white rachel dole <laughs> yes
1: oh my god and then and then he got kamala harris but he got her like a year before with all of that smoking stuff like-
4: yeah dick he- rider for her and i don't understand that one well, yeah,
1: but so he she he, it was on his show that she said that she was listening to who was a Snoop Dogg in college yeah. before Snoop Dogg had come out while she was smoking pot and also yeah. like threw Jamaicans under the bus. Yeah. And yeah. then I think that maybe he was mad about that when he hit her with the What was that thing on his show on his like TV show? Hmm. What was it? What was it? That great viral moment? What happened?
4: Oh, the um, what he asked uh, is Joe Biden, the president or Joe Manchin.
1: Oh, yes. God bless him.
4: Honestly, I don't know
1: if he has just, like, something in his amygdala where he has no fear or if he just has no inhibitions or something. But he somehow always manages to find the exact nerve that he needs to be riding with these people. So I'm glad that he exists as a resource. I cannot believe that Stacey Abrams waited to go on there until the last minute.
4: Yeah, she did. And I think it was just honestly, like, she just ran a really bad campaign this time around. And Mm -hmm. it didn't help. With her kind of, like, her ideal of her, like, just, like, putting blame or, like, basically not owning up to the fact that she's losing and everything like that. Like, the idea that she was kind of, like, placing blame on people or placing blame on certain things. Like, obviously, we know, I think last week we had the conversation of specifically with, like, Black men and stuff. Mm -hmm. And then even when she went on the show when it was kind of like, oh, yeah, you know, well, Black, you know, the reason why Black men are... You know, or not coming out, or whatever. It's because they're being hit with disinformation. It's like, yeah, it's like you kind of tell. It, they don't realize it. The way you're pretty much telling them, you're telling black men that they don't have a mind of their own. That's well, especially
1: they, since which, I mean, her numbers with white men were like in the teens or something.
4: Yeah, I'm glad y'all had Tesla in on because she killed that stuff as far as like yep. that misinformation. And I'm glad, like, I mean, don't get me wrong, like the Stacey fans are just like the K High fans. They're just, they're mm. they're just delusional people. So you, you're not going to be able to crack through there. So they, of course, they went with the, you know, oh it was Black men's fault. And then I saw a tweet today. It was so bad. It was like Stacey can't. St- the, one of the main reasons why Stacey didn't win, and we're going to talk about this, is the fact that because she was fat. And I was like. Ugh
1: oh who is the we we're not going to talk about this we're not no 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 so i I will say this about stacy abrams i've said this before i think that she had in 2018 even though i disagreed I, i thought that she was kind of a bit of a faux progressive even back then i was working with um you know zed jelani at the intercept at the time and he's from georgia and had a longer perspective of her political career in the state and i was feeling a lot of skepticism because of the things that he was reporting about her history even very early on. All all that being said, however, I thought that she was a very talented politician. And part of the reason why I felt that is because she was able to speak in that kind of neutral Obama-esque way that didn't alienate white voters. And it's why she was able to put together a coalition that involved a lot of white Georgian rural voters. Uh This time around... Then she went on and spent four years at the behest of the Democratic Party, apparently, talking exclusively yep. about voting discrimination. And, and like, co
4: opted mm-hmm. I'm
1: not like, as a black person, I, I don't want to be in the position of saying, like, we shouldn't care about voter uh, suppression. But in a, in a state, you're exclusive, you're, your main headline issue is that for four years, you don't actually, it doesn't bear any fruit, as we discussed on a recent episode.
3: <laughs> yep. None of your
1: lawsuits were successful. Yep but those were all minutes you could have been spent talking about something else. Moreover, we're seeing record high voting rates among this population that you're telling everybody is suppressed. And I'm not yep. saying those things are mutually exclusive obviously. Like there can still be suppression and people can still turn out and overcome it. But still, it it's what is why should anybody else care about Stacey Abrams in Georgia? Now I I think that, of course, there are other things that she's running on. There's substantive reasons. Like, I get it. But everyone's been living with Brian Kemp for four years. He's not a Trumper. He's not a monster. Like, that's not... You know, you've got to really distinguish yourself. I, you know, if you ask me right now what Stacey Abrams would do differently than Brian Kemp, I honestly couldn't tell you.
4: I couldn't tell you even, especially, like, just on a high note of, of, like, her, like, well, when she said about, like, the police and everything, how she went from, like, the idea of least understanding like, okay, I... For, from the optics and what everyone said was Defund the police wasn't a good platform to Okay, whatever you say I ain't gonna sit here and argue with people about that That being said, to completely retract that And then say, hey, well, you know, a lot of police officers Are poor too, so what I'm gonna do is I'm Yes, gonna nobody believes like, that
1: corny shit like, Yeah,
4: I'm like And then it's like, come on, come on
1: Just leave it alone just,
3: exactly. And also, by the Stop. way,
1: Kenneth Mejia
3: mm-hmm. One <laughs> With his yeah. big yeah. old
1: signs Talking about police funding is 35% of the budget or whatever it is, you know, in his district. And should it be this? I think, by the way, that's a great approach that, that abolitionists, not that I'm telling abolitionists how to do their job. I agree. But but like, I don't even get in the conversation, put it on them. Ask people what percentage of their city budget do they think is appropriate for the police?
4: I actually think this is the argument. And I think this is what they need to do. And then like Uvalde was kind of like one of those big Mm -hmm. things. It's like, how does something take 30% of your budget and then mm-hmm. incompetent in that and that. And then, yeah, you put it more to it. Like, um, I think, I forgot what they said in New York kids though, but if that's, if you're talking 30, 40% of a budget, but yet you're still talking about you have a crime problem or, or, a viol- you know, or a murder problem and all these stuff, how much more money do you give something to this? If the problem's never being fixed, it's literally, it's the argument. I think they need to run on. And I think that's the one they're going to win because m- If conservatives are truly conservatives and everything like that, and they think about the idea of where they can save money, you have to to look at this police budget. You have to, because if you're putting 30, 40, 40 percent of your budget into this and then you're not getting the results, it's hard to it, it. The argument literally just falls flat on his face. And I actually think you got into that with Coleman and this is what like um as far as like the interview go like i actually do gotta applaud you on that one because it's very rare that i actually see liberals defend their their police takes against conservatives and come out on top or not looking like completely asinine and, uh, and like crazy mm-hmm. you you held your like literally like that was the first time it's been strictly coleman because i've actually seen him a couple times i think i've mm-hmm. seen him one time on bill maher and mm-hmm. i've seen him one time, I think I forgot what show he was on, but um, he he like I said, he's a very articulate person. He actually mm-hmm. points very well, and you you kind of put him on you put you had him on his back, and I ain't gonna lie, I was I was a little shocked. I was like, oh, see, <laughs> so I'm gonna get I'm I'm gonna give you your applause there for that interview. Well, thank you, I appreciate
1: it, and I, I really enjoy talking to Coleman. If you yes. guys um haven't heard it already, I went on his show a couple of months ago, might be even a few months ago now. And I've been meaning to have him on since then. Um, You know, he's a busy guy. Uh, And I just, I I didn't have like a strong plan. We scheduled this in advance and then the date came. And like I said, I didn't have strong feelings about what I wanted to talk to him about. But Mm -hmm. I I always enjoy talking to him because it's the same way how I feel about Glenn Lowry. I loved having him on. I loved going on his podcast. Because I do feel like they come by their politics honestly and that they're intelligent and thoughtful people. Yeah, And and I like I got to tell you I enjoy you sometimes you guys get mad at me For like why are you having all these liberals on or why are you Having conservatives on but I have more fun It's more interesting to me yeah. <laughs> Sometimes to have a, deb- a little bit Of a debate than speaking to the choir Unless it's somebody who has like a lot Of substantive knowledge who's like A professor or you know historian Or something that can lay some knowledge on me That I don't know about uh, but, uh, Yeah, I, I, think, I think these kind of episodes Are useful and I'm, I'm glad to hear that at least some Of you agree
4: yeah um I had just two more questions. I'm going to try to get to them quick because I know mm-hmm. So So, um, as far as uh, the election, um, are Democrats now biting themselves in their ass considering how much they fucked up in New York? And I think that is karma. Karma.
1: Well, I just set up an episode. We're going to record it Monday, so I think it'll come out next Thursday, all about what happened in New York. And um, yeah, I... I so let, I'm gonna I'm gonna table that one for then. Okay. Uh, and also, I'm trying to get Mondaire to come on since I don't know what else he's doing right
4: now. <laughs> oh, I loved his petty ass tweet that he put yesterday. Oh, I loved it. I yes. Loved it. Oh, it was so good. It was so good. He was like, "Yikes!" That's all you need to say.
1: Right. I <laughs> I need him to come on Bad Faith. So if you guys want to at Mondaire, like go on Bad Faith. I he needs to he needs to not be ignoring my DMs.
4: All right. Um, then, so we're uh, gonna
1: we'll talk about New York. But what was your other what was your other question?
4: All right. Um, in the conversation with uh, Coleman, you guys talked about like the idea of like um, um, black uh, conservatives and everything, and the idea of like Uncle Toms and you know that 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 name that gets slashed upon a lot of people who aren't like black people who are just straight liberals and mm-hmm. liberals and then everything like that if you could have attached that nick na- well actually no cuz actually let me let me rephrase this um i think like when he was talking as far as like like those labels and everything like that um i kind of agree with him like i know me personally i'm not comfortable labeling black people un- uncle toms or mm-hmm. the derogatory names towards them because they don't think like me because i know obviously black people are not a monolith and everything mm-hmm. like that being said I was wondering, like, there are – would you ever <laughs> attach that label to somebody? Then... Chris,
1: you're trying so hard. You're like, yeah, <laughs> it's really disrespectful. It, like, really reduces someone to man. you like, I don't use the word Uncle Tom.
4: But I some don't. of these fools Uncle Tom. No. <laughs> <laughs> but what I'm telling you is there is one per- – there are people that I can't <laughs> someone said that. I wouldn't personally say that because I don't think, personally, I think that's more of a conversation we need to have within ourselves in the community. Mm-hmm. Broader perspectives and everything like that. Mm-hmm. That being said, um, yeah, if the, um, <laughs> as far as um a one particular person, aka I will say Candace Owens. And mm-hmm. the only reason why I would say Candace Owens because she, and he kind of hit on it too, like the idea of being compared to her. It's like she to me, like if you're ever going to apply that label to, to a black person, it's not just the idea, because they're conservative, it's not just because they go against the idea of what we perceive or what people in the culture perceive as black or whatnot. It's the idea that you kind of shit on people for the best for the betterment of yourself.
3: Mm-hmm.
4: Like with Coleman, I don't think like when he has conversation and may, if, if it's not if it's it's a different agreement to like the contrary of what I guess like what black people or black like in the black culture will say. At least I can. I, I actually do trust that he's having a conversation in good faith, and I think a lot of Republicans and that 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 title was kind of pushed on them unfairly. Candace Owens is a different thing because I think a lot of it is just like self. It, it's literally to glorify and big herself up.
1: I I think that that's a a fair distinction to make between people who seem to be doing it purely to like turn a buck, and I think Coleman pointed as evidence to the fact that she was like a Hillary gal and then pivoted hard seemingly overnight. And I think people point to Herschel Walker and say, you know, obviously his ideals don't line up with what he's professing now, given all the abortions he's paid for and whatnot. So, like, I think that's a perfectly fair distinction to make. Mm -hmm. I still, for the sake of my own credibility, um, will decline to use those kinds of words,
4: at least (laughs) in public. Oh, so you understand what I was saying before you just kind of came at me. Yeah. 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 You don't feel comfortable. No, I
1: understand what you're saying. I'm just saying that, like, once you go down that path and you're someone who's calling people, like everyone's not getting the fine distinctions of who's who you're calling an uncle Tom, because you think that they're being disingenuous and self-serving mm. and who you're calling it just because they're not towing the party line. And I think it just, you know, rhetorically it's neater not to use it but i'm not policing you and you can call anybody and uncle tom you want to and if you are listening to this and you're not black that does not go for you
4: yeah yeah (laughs) i personally recommend let's not do it Well, what's that for candy actually no because like i won't ever say that out loud but if i feel it i feel it
1: right and again if you're not black under no circumstances would i recommend. Please do not. I don't care if it's the biggest Uncle Tom that's ever Uncle Tom. I don't care if the character from Uncle Tom's cab- Cabin is reanimated by some future science and is walking down the street talking shit about black people. You should not say
4: yeah. <laughs> Uncle Tom. And I will add, I will. I do not care how many cookouts you get invited to. Do never say <laughs> comfortable any person. And honestly, the right people will check you on that stuff.
3: Right,
4: right. Yeah. All right, thanks for
1: calling in. Chris has been good chatting with you.
4: No problem, no problem. Have a good night.
1: Have a good night. All right. Now, I was going to come back for you, Jam, but, like, oh, oh, the queue got that much longer. Oh, my goodness. Okay, we got to, I got to speed this up. This is on me. How are you doing, Jam?
5: I'm doing good. Can you hear me?
1: I can hear you loud and clear. What's on your mind?
5: Awesome. Like, this is definitely, like, one of my, um, probably my favorite episode like by far mm. um talking cuz it, it really hit y'all guys hit on something that i've been struggling with like internally trying to like think about and really like formulate an idea about um uh, which is like black patriot black patriotism like what does mm-hmm. it look like mm-hmm. you you know like what does it mean like to be a black patriot and like just some just from some of the things you guys are like talking about especially when Coleman was trying was um formulating his ideas, uh of how he got how he became more so um conservative or more so right leaning, you know. Mm. About <laughs> like how he how he was hearing about like racism and how he was feeling like it wasn't his it wasn't his uh, you know, reality. Mm. <laughs> so and like, it t- it touched me more so in a way because how um Cause I kind of had like the same experience, but like differently, like kind of like in a reverse, you know, cause I'm, you know, uh, from, from Detroit and like right now I'm, uh, living in uh, Louisville
3: mm-hmm. and
5: like from being, from being in, uh, in Detroit, most people, uh, that like I speak to like down here, especially would think that, um, would think that, uh, it's not really, not really like racist, uh, you know, at all, you know, because it's like majority of uh, black city and everything. But I experienced like so much like racism there, and then moving to a majority r- white place, it was like it wasn't like the case, and it was like mm. super like super con- like confusing and weird to me. Mm. Like I'm gonna get, I'm going like I'm gonna have, this is gonna have to be like a black ass conversation though, you know? <laughs> like, just, just just to keep it real with you, you know? Mm. I feel I feel like it's important, like being like being up like in uh in Detroit. I used to work at like a at a um at a local uh GameStop in a suburb
3: mm-hmm. of
5: the a city called uh, Lincoln Park. Mm-hmm. Where, like, before, like, even one my, like, uh grand uncles, like, black people weren't even allowed, you know, like, to uh, go over there. Mm-hmm. But I ended up, um, like I said, but I had, like, a job over there. And, like, I would get called, like, I had people call in calling me a nigger. I've been called on the street, mm-hmm. like, a nigger, like, sometimes, you know, going. I mean, like, the first time I got called a nigger was by, like, the police. Like, mm-hmm. I remember every, when I was in Detroit, like, every, like, uh, at least two to three times a month, I would get like just like harassed like by the police like like whether i'm going out to the park my brother or, or like we just walk like in the neighborhood it's was, it was, like a constant thing and like they like they're in my neighborhood like southwest detroit like the police kind of um they 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 enforce like a hard border like when one of my friends one of my white friends from the store was dropping me off at home um because I, my, my ride fell through he was dropping me off at home like five to five to ten minutes later he had called me and said like the police stopped him. He like they didn't they didn't get nothing. Like they didn't like uh, run anything on him. He had asked me like what was it for? I'm like, like well dude, like you white. So they, they either think that you come like to get drugs and they don't and they try and like scare you so you don't come back.
3: Mm. You know what I'm saying?
5: Like they, they enforce like a hard border. Mm. And then like moving moving out here um to Louisville, at least like on the side of the city like um like that I'm on. Like I'm it's like it's weird. Like I'm not I'm not having any type, you know, like negative negative like reactions, you, you know, with the police. And I'm just not being able to like what what if I'm see like seeing like a police officer like I'm not immediately not immediately thinking like negative like man they about to fuck with me, you know. Uh, so and it's so it um and, like in thinking like in thinking about like how racism you know like affected like affected me especially being there it was like I got 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 upset. It's like so much like of a you know, like, brain power and everything is just it's like you're trapped you know it's like so much of your brain power is just focused on where not to go what not to do mm-hmm. you know like you um you you get you get boxed in you know it's where you can't where you, your imagination isn't really allowed to flourish because mm-hmm. of like you know like the harsh like the harshness of it and it kind of that's what kind of gets me like upset when i see like super like liberal people Talking about like very small, like microaggressions mm-hmm. as being like the worst fucking thing in the world.
3: Mm-hmm. You
5: know, like I said, from the area that I'm from, like in Southwest, it's like, it's like, be, like it's Crip and Crip. Um, and there's another game called the folks like influence. Like, so I grew up around like grew, grew up around the gang bangers, all that. But the only time, but every time in my life I seen, like I seen the gun being port, it at me was the police for me, just like, like just being out and about. Yeah. You know? But yeah. so so uh, so try, so hearing like how so so when, so coming down like to uh to Louisville and everything is I end up seeing how seeing how class affects affects everything because mm-hmm. before like and that's how it became more so like on the left when I moved here because I got much more real life experience about how you know class affects how class has such a huge. You know how like how race and class like intersect and everything. has such a huge like impact, you know, on um, on people's lives. Because yeah, back when I was back, you know, back up home, it was just any any like type of race talk. You know, like I'm I'm with it and just full of Democrat, like because that's just my you know just my real life experience. Mm-hmm. But then being but like, being here, just seeing how much more class like like police will fuck with you if you're on the west end, like on the west side, because that's the poor side of the city. Mm-hmm. You know, and so that that gave me a little bit more like information and and like really shaped my shape my politics, you know.
1: Yeah, so I I'm really appreciating you calling in and and sharing that. You know, it is. And asking me answer me this. What's up? How often do you feel? I mean do you think this is what, how significant an issue do you think this is at a certain point with Democrats and messaging and it's not really even a Democrat it's not even necessarily just purely political it's like a cultural issue where so much of the discussion of racism is centered in a, a higher class tier of problems you know it's a real first world problem version of, of racism like, do you think it's demotivating? How like is this something that you've had conversations with other people about? You know, is it is it something that is you think know, a significant a significant messaging issue that might be motivating things like Stacey Abrams's disconnect with voters?
5: If you were to ask me that, like maybe like three to, like three to five like years ago, I mm-hmm. would say yes, it's a more of, like, important thing, like, how they talking about it, like, was still, like, fly for, like, mm-hmm. for most people. But uh, I don't know, I don't know what, I don't know what changed. But it's been, it's been a bigger, a much bigger change, especially for talking, like, the people at home. Mm. Um, a much bigger change to see people be able, see people want to be, like, more open, like, just just be able to disassociate from the Democratic Party and not having the racial language be, like, be like the, the main thing. And I don't, but I don't know if it's because it's, it's weird. It's complicated because black men are more so willing, willing to do so. Mm-hmm. But I don't know if it's necessarily, I don't know if it's necessarily a reaction to how, how um we see a lot of stuff like, like on the left, or, or like more so liberal people, just like really har- harping, like talking more about black, black women, like um a lot, how us being like their main, like their main um, main constituency that they're really trying to like focus and target towards, mm-hmm. and that's happening a lot more in um a lot more in uh, modern culture, and mm-hmm. I think it's, it's a it's a reaction a reaction to it. Like, so it's, you have some people that's like against you know that's like, against like some of the racial language and against like Democrats just just as a reaction to that, but it is still like a general like a um um a genuine thing where more people now. Are are starting it's, it's, the racialized language isn't starting like really to hit with them, yeah. you know. And even for some people, especially with some of the older people, that's a problem because I've just been up there, went to like the church, so, met some like oh the older church folks, where they're where they'll like they'll they'll be down with some like the racialized language, but they'll still want, but like a, a more so of an economic message going to hit them going to hit better.
1: Yeah.
5: You know, a class based message yeah. is still going to hit, you're still going to hit stronger, but like the racialized language, it is, it is still effective to a degree.
3: Yeah.
1: I, I, this look, I don't, it's, this is very, I don't want to cheapen it by saying this is validating, but this is something that even from my, you know, kind of privileged class position I've been observing for years now it felt mm. like a, the, the language and the culture it kind of jumped the shark at a certain point. When you're sitting around listening to Joanne Reed as mm. a dominant black host, who is you know like a, a Harvard graduate and her kind of cadre of friends in the political sphere, people like Tiffany Cross who just you know lost her position at MSNBC, even people I, I like like uh, Melissa Harris Perry who had better politics. You know, they all come from a certain group and
5: Mm -hmm.
1: you can, you can feel it. It's like white liberals pulling, you know, wanting the veneer of diversity, wanting to assuage white guilt, doing all of these things and pulling in their peers Mm -hmm. as though that's satisfying the, the substantive need. And they're serving this purpose of obscuring the ongoing conditions because their presence is, 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 set, is thought to be representational in a way that it really
5: isn't yeah. like if the thing like especially like one of the big issues like we might even have like a disagreement on it but one of the bigger like issues i'm I'm seeing a lot i've been feeling a certain way but i'm seeing a lot more heavily
3: mm-hmm. in like
5: the black community especially especially in detroit is um school choice mm-hmm. like it's, it hits so much in like in detroit because we have so many like school closings like I went to the same high schools that Rashida Tlaib, um went to mm-hmm. and everything. Like I met her a couple of times and everything. Cause she from, she from the same area and yeah, like our high school is closed down and like, it's a bunch of like high schools that just went, went to the wayside, like up there and I, how Democrats and, and not even just Democrats, I wouldn't even say a lot of like progressives and loud, more like left, left leaning people talk about, like talk about just really try to like shut down, Child, like shut down the um like the, um any type of like criticism about um public schools like a lot of like black people find like find that like offensive because they say like no we, we don't need to shut down just fun more or such and such but then nothing end up changing in the hood and it's our kids that get left behind yeah. you know during something then there's no there's nobody really willing like to talk uh talk about about that issue and a lot of black people you know like are, fi- are feeling it like i said yeah. especially like in cities where we having that mass school closings? It's like one of the only issues that I will fuck with Roland Martin. Though fuck him for everything else up before like this is, um previous like election, but like he's been a very very big like, advocate on that. A real like connected to that, how people how people feel about that. But yeah. it seems like like the Democrats and more so, uh, so I even say like like a lot of progressives are like just afraid to touch to touch that issue, and you're gonna start losing. That's one that's one issue where you start to see a lot of. A lot of um, black people being being okay, you know, with like school vouchers and everything, because like yeah. they, they we know what's going on. You know. Like, a lot of people in Detroit wasn't um, upset about um, what's your lady? She's from Michigan. That Trump made like the uh, education lady um, divorce. Yeah. Like a lot of black people wasn't upset about like their plans like for like education because that's what you know. Like, look, like our our, key, our schools closing, our kids, our, you know being uh, like, and especially with school closings, like when I was in uh, in southwestern, at the southwest uh, area, mm-hmm. like I said, it's heavily with like uh, with one certain gang, and then uh, um some of the schools more so on like an upper west side, it's heavily like, associated with another like type of gang. So when those, so when they closed like that, the school on the northwestern side, mm-hmm. you know, all the gang people just came over like mm-hmm. to my side. Mm-hmm. You know, and that was never like a consideration mm-hmm. into like how to shuffle kids. You know how to mm-hmm. shuffle kids or, or around and everything. You know, mm-hmm. and like people like in the neighborhoods, like we, we we see how we're being like fucked over, and and it's, the left really needs to have really needs to, especially if you want to bring in older black people. You know, really needs to yeah. try to come up with some type of with some type of a plan mm-hmm. or some type of messaging to re- like to, to speak towards this issue. You know.
1: Yeah, the the problem with so much discourse around education is that people talk about it with longer term time horizons as though kids' lives aren't being affected in the shorter term. It's kind of what was happening also with the shutdowns. There was this kind of lack of acknowledgement that from a parent's perspective, there's only so many years a kid is a kid. Mm-hmm. And acting like, oh, we're going to solve the education problem in 15 years, 20 exactly. years, 50 years, it doesn't do anything to the parent who's trying to figure out how to keep their kid you know, on a on a good path mm-hmm. today and tomorrow, and I, I experienced this on the campaign trail, and I think there was some sensitivity to it in Bernie Land that you couldn't be having these conversations that were so hostile to voucher systems when people felt like that was their only option. But we do, you're right, we do have to figure out a way to, because that's an, also an exploitative system that's basically. Mm-hmm. Pulling money out of the public school system And making it worse for all of the parents Who aren't knowledgeable enough Involved enough or lucky enough To get the opportunity to move their Mm -hmm. kids out You know it's not sustainable Just to bail everybody out of the feeling ship Somebody mentioned today how Some Scandinavian country just abolished um, Not just but Has abolished um, Private schools altogether uh, Mm -hmm. And how effective that is Maybe it was a Matt Brennan tweet That feels very bad Brennan-ish but whatever it is, I think you're. I mean, I don't think you. You are completely right. You're completely right about that.
5: Yeah, I mean, it's it's a bunch of problems, you know, like with like with a public like school like system, you know, and everything that that could, you know, at like the left could try like a try like to address like one of the big. I can say I'm very lucky from having a very special, a very special, um, a very special school schooling. Like, because it was a very special education and a with me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like when I was in, when I was in a uh, middle school, I went to um, another like suburb of Detroit. It's called e It's a very small um, city where they had like an accelerated, like an accelerated like program. So let's say if you were in the third grade, you would end up doing like fourth grade work and so on mm-hmm. and so forth until you hit like a eighth grade. But the school was very small. You know, like a classroom was uh, a, it was only three classrooms, and the classroom was had like two different grades like into it. So from being able to have, being able to have that more, more so like one on one like connection with like the teachers and everything, end up like propelling like my um my education and stuff. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. when like I always like to stay up like at the top like, top of the class and had like, a bunch of like, academic like achievements. But then when I end up going, um, out of that, going, um, to Southwestern, so it's just straight up, you know, um, Detroit public school, all that, everything was like changed. It was like, you just a number, you know, like nobody is, you have, there's no, there's no one-on-one, there's no one-on-one, you know, uh, connection with people. And like some, some teachers you can't blame because I've been in the classroom, it was like 40 or 45 people, you know, like there's, there's no way. You know, like a, a teacher can do yeah, can do anything crazy. Like about that. That's you know? like
1: telling a teacher to uh, teach to a small concert. Yeah, like it's, <laughs> it's
5: it's it's just no like no way. You know, yeah. so like you can't blame you know like everything you know like on teachers and stuff. It's definitely like how like how the um how, how uh, like the system is like just set up and everything. But like you said, it's just like the left. We have no real we have no real like solution. Like I would I would try like to take away. Take away how like public schools is funded, like eliminate that, how we got got it from other neighborhoods tax base. That's so fucking stupid. Yeah. Like how, like how that's done and have more so like government funding to, to create more smaller schools within, within, um, within neighborhoods and have a bigger, a bigger focus on, a bigger focus on, um, homeschooling and homeschooling collectives. Like one Mm. of my sisters in laws in, um, Florida. She homeschools her um three children, mm. but um she has, but they have like, she has like a little network with like five or six other moms that do, that do the same thing with their kids.
3: Mm-hmm. And
5: so they all link up at a certain time. Like I know that's not, it's not, but people doing it by themselves, you gotta be have be able to have like a certain privilege to be, you know, to be able to do that, especially if, like you're a single parent. But that's why I think we should, being able to like separate. And have a lot more small a lot more smaller schools it would be like would be the way uh, be a way to do it with more like government funding towards it you know but that's just one you know yeah. one um you know like solution for the problem
1: well jim i've written down in my uh slack channel to myself uh we definitely need to do an education episode that addresses some of these issues so i really do appreciate you sharing your perspective today I, oh. Y'all need to stop being so interesting because I'm not making very good <laughs> progress through this queue. But I, re- I always love speaking to you, Jam.
5: Uh, always, and you definitely got to do a Black Patriotism episode. You got to, you got to do that.
1: You know, I tried with um, uh, what's his face? Um, oh shoot, I'm having a brain freeze. He's a Black History professor, and his name starts with a G. And he's very good friends with um, Dr. CBS. um is that greg
5: something um
1: no not greg carr Um, oh yeah
5: that's something about greg Carr.
1: goodness gracious gerald horn thank you thank you Tusker. um and i you know this was around the time when jackson hinkle was just starting to play with these ideas and it was getting everybody very upset uh you know whether the left should be patriotic and stuff and i i tried i you know i had that episode where i tried to engage him on this and he was he was not so Open to it. Um, but I could try again and I could try with someone else. Let me know if there's any guests you think would be good for that sort of a thing.
5: Yeah, most of that. But I don't want to take up some, any more of your time. Thanks for having me.
1: Thank you. Keep the faith. Always. All right. We got back to back Eric's. First, not Cousin Eric.
6: Hello. Can you hear me? I can't loud and clear. What's on your mind tonight? Oh, nothing wrong. Uh, yeah. So, really? I was trying to decide if I want to talk about the elections or the episode today because I really enjoyed the episode um, with Glenn. Not nah, Glenn. Now I'm getting mixed up with Glenn Lowry. Um, uh, uh, <laughs> Coleman News. Yeah, Coleman with Coleman today. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, one of the things that I found really intriguing about the episode was whenever we talk to like Black conservatives, particularly the ones that um, think on the way of Coleman is there's a level of cognitive dissonance that I find in their conversations. And I think it, they get away with a lot of stuff by coming off and being so calm and being so polite. And I think that's kind of, that, that some people may get um, caught up in that tone, but I really thought you did a good job of trying to keep him on target with the different, com- particularly talking about when you got off track and t- talking about crime and police, mm. and his insistence on this idea of particularly when he talked to whoever this black sheriff was who knew um,
3: Jiu-Jitsu, mm-hmm.
6: and I found that very intriguing about how he was so caught up in that, just because I'm also, a, I'm a second degree black belt mm-hmm. I've trained in many different styles of martial arts, and his viewpoints, and whatever he took away from this gentleman and his, that gentleman's idea of martial arts is kind of different than mine. And I also found that I think if you push him, I don't think he has uh, a good, I don't think he believes in mental health professions. It sounds Why like- Why do you he, say that? Because when you, when he, when you're talking about, when, he, when you were talking about how you can have someone come and try to calm down, calm down a person who is mentally ill. It felt like he had a hard time believing that that's even possible.
1: Yeah, I mean, here here's the thing. I did find that to be a kind of an inconsistency. Like, there's an acknowledgement that there is training that you can do that enables you to take down someone physically without a gun. That's the reference to jujitsu, jiu- jiu- right? He is saying that. At the same time, it seemed like only a cop, can do jujitsu. Like, there's no room. Like, when, when you start talking about people who aren't literally cops, everyone defaults to, well, then that person must not have any physical ability to take someone down or have any physical training, which isn't the case. You can take the exact same person with all their training and put them in a mental health. I mean, like, obviously, I think they should have different training because the training cops get is all the, part of the problem. But you know what I mean? Someone who is capable to physically diffuse a situation, you need someone like that in lots of different settings. I think the, what, what we're pointing to is the fact that in other places in the world, cops even don't carry guns. Cops are required to use other means to resolve disputes. And when you don't have a gun, maybe that means you don't chase someone down a dark alley. And maybe that means, you know, you don't engage in the high-speed car chase. Maybe you don't do a lot of different things. But that's actually a good thing, and that folks <laughs> resolve crimes in different ways. And, you know, we live in a surveillance state. You just wait for the person to run away, and then you run their plates You follow them home. We've got cameras on every corner. You can just catch up with them later. It doesn't need to be all of these things that increase risk and put people at risk of dying.
6: And And so what uh, I, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. And also what I found, even his, even just taking that part, his need to always go to something physical. Cause the way I thought about something like that is you, like a mental health profession is someone who, who has so much training that when you, so let's say if I have, an issue with a family member, they're having a mental breakdown. First of all, when he talked about how a mom would be the best person to uh, talk someone out of that, first of all, I'm like, I don't think he knows anyone who has mental health issues, because let me tell you, families are probably the worst people to try mm-hmm. to try to calm them down, because if that was the case, then we wouldn't have any issues. Mm. So I just had an issue with that, that talking point. I'm like, nah, that's not exactly how that works, but going further, I would say that Someone who's a mental health profession, when they go in, they will be able to deduce. Because to me, I always thought of it as, you know, someone calls for a mental health problem. The mental health professional comes first. Mm -hmm. They talk to the person. They try to calm down. Mm -hmm. They are trained enough to know, oh, this is going to escalate to a point that is beyond me. Mm
3: -hmm. Let me
6: bring him back up. Okay, now you need to bring him back up. Now Mm -hmm. we need a cop. Now we need maybe two, you know, big brawly people mm-hmm. who can, you know, we're gonna have to restrain homeboy. Mm-hmm. And like the fact that he doesn't even—he like you, like you have to literally break down every step of the process with him that he can't, he's unable to imagine anything different than the system that is. And I, I forgot who someone was having a conversation about that the. Fact that because one of the things that make it hard to change things is because we've lived in the condition mm-hmm. so long, we are unable to ima- imagine what it will be like with something different. Because that mm-hmm. in itself is crazy. And I like I thought his like uh, I thought you handled very perfectly when he brought. I forgot who the the philosopher he was talking. The conservative philosopher who brought in the idea of why people. Won't want it, why there's a, a a moral way of why you don't want to change systems because you don't know what you're gonna mm-hmm. get. You the system mm-hmm. can be worse, and I'm and you literally said what I was thinking. I was like, but that's very easy for the person who's okay with the system to say that because mm-hmm. the system works for them. What about mm-hmm. the people who the system doesn't work? And it and it seems like very circular logic, right? That he does sometimes, and. Um, I really felt this when you went into that little small educational point because you conceded certain aspects of that. Mm-hmm. And Just you like with like, Jim, because yeah. it's right, the
1: education system yeah. is
6: fucked. <laughs> yeah, it is fucked. Like, and I, I completely agree because this is something I didn't know. I didn't know how much money, but we, I think the, I mean, this was a report I read a while back. I'm not sure if the numbers are still true, but we do spend more money per student, quote unquote, per mm-hmm. student, in our public education system than many other mm-hmm. Western countries. Um, obviously, part of that is because we spend a, an obscene amount of money on administrative uh, costs, even out even in the public school education system. So that's one thing. Also, we have this, no, I don't think, if I'm not mistaken, I think we're the only one that uses property taxes to fund mm-hmm. public schools, which is just stupid and does not work because that's where you get the a lot of discrepancies that come in funding for schools is that you have, you know, one area with a high property tax, those schools mm-hmm. get more money than a poor area. We already know that. And I, w- I appreciated the fact that when you said, well, if someone comes to me and says X, Y, and Z and comes up with like something that sounds like a better plan, I'm willing to do that. Which is like, and I think when you were having that conversation with Jam, one of the things that I think that I, um, I think the problem with a lot of political discourse is that, and you do this, no one comes with people, no one ever takes people on good faith. Mm. So if you're having, so to me, when I heard people talking about school vouchers, I'd have been like, okay, that sounds like an interesting idea. Here's my concerns.
3: Mm-hmm.
6: You know, we have areas of kids who can't travel outside of that area. They'll have no school to go to. Mm -hmm. So I have no problem necessarily with school vouchers, but my thing would be like, okay, if you do the school vouchers thing, I want to make sure there's, you know, X amount of schools for X population of people every mile or so. Mm -hmm. That would be like something that would, if you want to do school vouchers, um, you think that would be a better idea. Then I would be like, okay, then we need to make sure that there's schools for everyone to go to. Um, Mm -hmm. Or, you know, have a policy where, One of the biggest things that teachers complain about is school size. I, again, just like Jam, came from a public school education, particularly in high school, where we had 35, 40 kids. I remember one time I had a math class where kids were literally sitting on the radiator,
3: Mm. the
6: radiator, because Mm -hmm. there wasn't enough seats and it Mm. was packed. Mm. So I can see, like, you know, having, you know, legislation where public schools can have no more than 10 students to a teacher. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, implementing those type of policies. I mean, I would really love to get rid of private schools. I think that's also one of the issues. I'm one of those people who believe that if you really want programs to work, then you got to put, you know, the rich people in those programs, because if they have to deal with it, trust and believe they're going to make sure they're the best.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm i completely with you. And I, I appreciate that Coleman was arguing in in good faith and seem to be open to some of this stuff too i think we all have to get a little bit more in the habit of saying oh i hadn't thought of that maybe i'm open to that like Mm -hmm. oh maybe i was wrong about something maybe i can maybe we can try this because i'm honestly i'm just not wedded to the way things are being done because the way things are being done is pretty fakakta
6: and i i I definitely think this is one thing i found that i wish people uh sometimes doesn't feel like I wish politics was more solution-based.
1: Yeah, people are just Let- sitting around defending their turf. This is yeah. why I've been doing this on Rising. I blow so many people's minds <laughs> by simply asking. Before the, before the midterms, it was all, oh, are, is our Democrats good at inflation? Are Democrats bad on inflation? How much is inflation, Biden's fault? Well? And these conservatives would come on, and I would just simply ask them, what's your plan for inflation? Nothing. You know, like, and I'm not even trying to be an asshole because honestly, Democrats don't really have a plan either. I'll ask you, what's your plan for inflation? You know, we had all these things about Latino vote. Latinos really care about inflation. Okay, we had a a Democrat and a Republican Latino. I asked them both, what's the plan for help Latinos lower inflation? Nobody has a goddamn answer. So at least let me cut through this bullshit. (laughs) Can we just like recognize that nobody can control inflation and like move on to something substantive? Mm-hmm. Oh I'm not, Latinos are mad about the price of okay. What you gonna do about it? Cause it's so easy just to talk about the problem and to rally people in agreement behind a problem versus a solution.
6: And then so, the, Yeah, go ahead. And then another thing that would happen is sometimes when you offer up a solution, because this this is one thing that gets on my nerves, is I don't like it when we're having a conversation. So we both agree on the problem and we're having a conversation about the problem. Mm-hmm. I offer up a solution. You knock down my solution and then you don't have one of your own. Don't knock down my solution if you don't have something else. Right. I, that, that one gets on my nerves. And so the last thing I'll do before I go, just a little bit touching on the election. Um, I know you said you're, you're going to have someone talking about what's happened in New York. One of the things that really annoys me about establishment Democrats is when one of their owns fucks up. They do not send them to the gulag. Patrick, whatever the what dude name who I was. Sean so happy Patrick Maloney. Sean Patrick mm-hmm. Maloney should be excommunicated from the Democratic Party for what he did. <laughs> not the gulag. The, uh, gulag, <laughs> send him away. Like he should be like like freaking from uh, Game of Thrones shame shame drag him through time's Square. <laughs> drag him because literally he lost us <laughs> a seat that probably Mont. well i will not say we because i'm not really a democrat mm-hmm. Joe probably would have won that seat he probably would have won the seat he originally was supposed to stay in and mm-hmm. we probably would have got the i'm sorry the asian chick from the you, in- lean, you? you- mm. lean, lean you
1: and mm. then another
6: thing is there's this dude in new york politics i think his name is jacobs he's like the um the head of the leadership of uh, Democrats in New York, who dis- disastrously messed up in some of the, like, he was one of the people, I think, who's behind kind of like how we did the gerrymandering in New York. And he was also, uh, you know, pretty much in charge of how the Democrats are going to do and he's come back from the Cuomo years. And, you know, they're trying to keep, they're going to keep him in his uh, leadership position. I was like, what are you doing?
1: Yeah, it's a real fail up situation. Um surprisingly not merit based like the rest of the world, lol. Yeah, I, I I agree. It's it's disappointing. Um It's disappointing. What is there to say? But hopefully we'll be able to talk to some of these folks. I've got a I got a good little panel lined up to talk about all the New York stuff, so Also, we'll get to I'm having like- a good time.
6: So you can get to know other people but uh great conversation i like when you do these type of conversations. this one glenn lowry i think actually like really like when you talk with glenn lowry i think he's one of the best of uh, the black conservatives why here he talk because he does concede to certain things he does give a little bit better of back and forth and i like the um when you did a uh, guy with andrew i forgot his last name though andrew oh, andrew sullivan yes
1: yeah me too i like i like talking to the kind of ideologically mixed mm-hmm. up folks it just makes for it's interesting for me i'm glad i'm glad you liked it eric thanks for calling in um i'm going to come to you cousin eric in a second but i i want to i know i'm always talking to jonathan i'm so sorry but i want to pull jonathan up just for this point about this emt the, the, this um restraint stuff with people who are having um some kind of mental episode of crisis because yeah, i saw you in the chat talking about how you have training as the emt
7: yeah, I mean, there's there's a whole set of of techniques. It's been a long time since I took the class, but mm-hmm. there are uh, there are whole sets of techniques for restraining mm-hmm.
3: people who are mentally ill that
7: are yes, exactly yes. that are having a meltdown so that you don't bruise them or mm. pull. Uh, you know, dislocate a shoulder or uh, break a bone or something like that by accident. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we like I definitely, you know, even in hospital emergency rooms, like I get called to help restrain a patient so that they can you know give them an injection of sedative, mm-hmm. uh, you know, things like that. Like there are like there's absolutely any medical control can authorize you once you've been certified on that stuff to do that you do not like he was saying in that interview that oh if you if i like if you're not a police officer then you're guilty of like unlawful blah 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 mm-hmm. that's not how it works right. there's a whole set of healthcare providers and in fact in most of these mental health facilities uh they are not even EMTs like they are like mental health techs or whatever psych mm-hmm. like techs that are mostly doing that kind of work uh nurses um, You know, people like that that uh, have gone through that training. You absolutely do not need a badge. You certainly don't need a gun or a taser. Uh, I mean, these, like, by and large, in most cases that I've been involved in, like, if I talk to them while I'm restraining them, I can get them to voluntarily cooperate. Like, these are not, uh, you know, these kinds of situations absolutely do not require a cop and in fact usually they get set off more when they see somebody in that kind of austere like threatening looking mm-hmm. uniform
1: right. so
7: yeah that's so i wanted
1: to bring you up yeah. because i remember my so my mom uh worked with, with special needs when i was younger and i remember her like she was in her grad program when i was a little kid i remember her talking about learning how to do therapeuticals and stuff and i remember her talking about how you know, she would come home sometimes. She took a year off from the UN when I was in the freshman in college and worked um, at a school for kids with special needs in the Bronx. And it was a little rough up there. And she had to, there was a lot of physicality with some of these kids uh, often. Um, who were obviously like sweet kids, but you know, they had um, special needs. And these are older kids at this point in her life. And those techniques be coming in handy. There are all kinds of situations in life where you have to restrain people in a lot of different kind of professions, people with mental health issues in particular, that don't involve a gun. So for every situation someone's imagining, I don't care if you call them a cop. Just imagine what happens if that person shows up without a gun. Because what we're talking about are situations where nobody wants anyone to die. I'm the mother of my kids having an episode, whatever. No, just don't bring the gun and figure out how that would have to change how you were trained and what you were able to do if you couldn't rely on the idea that if you got
7: scared
1: you could just shoot everybody else in the room like i think well, it matters you get a lot
7: that sorry it matters a lot and that's why it's so important that in all these facilities that deal with people that are known to be like that that these are our healthcare providers like mm-hmm. they come in there knowing their job isn't to fight somebody their job is to help these people Their job is to make sure they're okay. Like, they are your responsibility. They're your charge. They're, you know, you're responsible for their well-being. And you're responsible for making sure they leave that facility better than they were when they came in. That's your job. That's your profession. Like, that's the mentality you go into it with. And those facilities are also loaded with uh, professional, uh, you know, social workers that, uh, in many cases, like Master of Social Work, Uh, that specializes in mental health. Uh, Many of those are Mm -hmm. licensed clinical social worker therapists. Uh, You know, there's a whole, uh, yeah. And all of those, by the way, tend to be trained in those techniques as well. Like the notion that this has to be a cop or even anybody affiliated with the police department to handle this is ludicrous to anybody that works in that space.
1: Yeah, I was actually fairly recently or over the summer, I was having coffee outside um, in my neighborhood and there's a there's a, a homeless guy who's very fairly, fairly obviously mentally ill that's around the neighborhood a lot, very familiar. And mostly he just walks around, but some days he's a little more erratic than others. And I was sitting there for a long time having this coffee, and I noticed this this small, slight woman in a, in scrubs, who was clearly some kind of mental health practitioner, you know, engages with him in a way that I've never seen anybody engage with him. And she was holding both of his hands and she was talking to him. I'd never seen him talk, only, you know, mutter to himself kind of. And she was so sweet. And honestly, the humanity and tenderness with which she was approaching him after we had all, myself included, kind of collectively not engaged with him despite him being a very familiar presence in the neighborhood – I mean, I, I, it was humbling. And frankly, I'm like ashamed of I felt shame um, about my own feelings of reservations about ever being in a situation where I would be holding this man's hands. And it struck me that there are all of these situations to which we impute danger unnecessarily. And that's not to say, you know, erratic people are erratic and that doesn't mean that there can't be another situation where he could cause an issue. But there are lots of people in the world that can cause issues that don't have mental health and most people who are, you know, in some violent situation is their you know, boyfriend who did it, not uh, some random um, stranger on the street who might be having a mental, uh, mental health episode. That's all to say that, like, I'm going to completely acknowledge that sometimes force, strength, and even some tools, sedatives, maybe even tasers and stuff are necessary in these kind of situations to defuse situations. But it cannot be that everything requires a gun. And we have to understand that there are other skills that – Help these situations other than brute force, including the kind of techniques, including an enormous amount of sensitivity and kindness that I saw this mental health practitioner um, use with this man that day. And she was back and forth. At one point, he was calm. At one point, he sprinted away from her, and she patiently waited, and he came back. It was amazing to watch. And she clearly was do- working with confidence, and she knew what she was doing. And it was, it was, it was, it was such a skill. And like, the is. idea and that we don't have any confidence to, to train people in these skills and to bring their humanity to situations, it's really, it's dispiriting that we we can't even imagine that.
7: I mean, I'm 6'2", 220, and I consider it a serious failure if I'm dealing with a mental health patient and I am put in a situation where I'm forced to put my hands on them and restrain them. Uh, like. If I can't talk them down, like I consider it a, like a personal failure because nine times out of 10, even when a patient is very agitated, you can usually use the techniques that you're taught, like, because you're always taught, like, even in these, you know, these restraint classes, like Mm -hmm. the first thing you're supposed to do, like that's a last resort, not a first, like you are supposed to use all of these de-escalation techniques Mm -hmm. Okay. This is the tone of voice you use to talk to them. These are the kinds of, you know, ways you talk to them. You know, Mm -hmm. these are the ways you engage them. This is the body language you use, that sort of thing. And that works almost every single time. Like, unless somebody's like completely out of their head, usually on drugs, like mm-hmm. in, in most cases where I've had to restrain somebody, they are usually on something like PCP or something along those lines mm-hmm. and they've been set off somehow. And, but by and large, like, even like you, like people that work in this space know that most of the time, how to take care of this without resorting to uh, physical force. And, like, that's the bottom line. It, it's, it's uh, you know, intimidating people, threatening them, ordering them around, which is what cops tend to do. They tend to bark orders at people. Uh, that's not the way you deal with mental health patients, and it's a mm-hmm. recipe for disaster to involve them in those situations where they're more likely to escalate it.
3: Yeah.
1: Yeah, for sure. Well, look, I appreciate you giving your expertise, Jonathan. I didn't mean to force you into that um, line of conversation. Was there anything else that you had in mind while you were in the queue? Oh,
7: no, that's fine. Like I was uh, actually, you know, I kind of almost joined the the queue out of habit. Like I was, uh, you know, getting so much out of these conversations you've been having. And that episode that you did, like there's a lot of stuff in there that I would not have even thought to ask much less get an answer to, uh, you know, that I wouldn't have, it wouldn't have even occurred to me. So like, this has been very, very educational for me.
1: Good. I'm glad. I'm glad. I'm glad you guys, sometimes I don't know if you're going to be picking up, but I'm putting down. So I'm glad that it seems like most people, you know, enjoyed this kind of episode.
7: I mean, even some of his attitudes towards like other conservatives in that space, including like Candace Owens, uh, you know, the, the fact that he, you know, voted for, you know, against Trump mm-hmm. and, uh, and things like these were like really interesting conversations and topics to delve into what is, where he was coming from and where he, where he took it. Like these were like, this was really fascinating to me. I'm glad. So I'm- Thanks for this episode.
1: I'm very glad for that. And thank you as always for calling in Jonathan.
7: All right. Have a good one.
1: You too. All right, Cousin Eric, you're up. What's on your mind?
8: Hey. Hey. Oh, you hear me, right? I can hear you. All right. So, it's not really much to talk about at midterms. I mean, Florida's going to Florida. There's nothing new there.
1: <laughs> oh, yes. Florida man, how are you doing?
8: Um, It's everything that I expected to happen, it happened, so. Mm-hmm. Of, of course um, Ron DeSantis wins in a blowout Like anybody with a brain in Florida Could see happen um, And Byron Donald Still wins re-election As my congressman unfortunately So it is what it is
1: mm-hmm.
8: so, yeah. yeah So,
1: so what is, if not the Midterms what did you want to talk about Did you want to say something about the episode
8: or Um I can Um you did have me nervous about this, mm-hmm. and Coleman seems like a decent person, I guess. I mean, I'm—I don't know him from anywhere, but I guess it just—I guess seems like a decent person. Um, seeing through Candace Owens's bullshit is like at least some decent test. Um, but yeah, cousin at-
1: Eric, I think that you are the most cynical caller.
8: We How? Have. How? It's not. A, it's not. Just, a, it's not a critique. I'm just being. I'm just being honest. About I know. It's.
1: It's part of your charm. It's part of your charm. Yeah, go, but I'm just, yeah, go ahead.
8: Honest, I'm just being honest about what I see. Like, mm-hmm. I get. He doesn't. He doesn't sound as bad as the other black conservatives I've heard from before. Mm-hmm. He's bad as them, but he still has some of the same issues, like. Like, I brought up last time. Like, you're still, even when you talk about, like, stuff like defund the police, for example. You're still, you're still keeping capital in the driver's seat. Like, you're still, you're not really changing anything. Like, how you brought up with um, Chris about um, making it a point about percentages. About how much of the percent of the bu- of city budget goes to this, I've done that before at the alternative center I, I was at with that's the beauty of having a predominantly black class with with a black teacher as me um and so I show this and the, that that case in point actually works um but there also has to be a deeper point too in in really talking about the political power of the police. They one. So, I think it was, I think Jimmy talked about this, there was somewhere in Texas where they actually did defund the police, but the, what the police department effectively did was literally leverage their power against the city.
3: Mm.
8: They all got refunded, and not only got refunded, but re, but pumped up with even more money than they had before. So... I'm kinda of going, okay, well, that's an issue of political power. So so really like I I guess I'm I'm trying to look at the I'm looking at the details of it. I'm looking deeper besides just the surface level of money. Like where is the money actually? Where what is what is their political power in terms of getting the money, getting the money that we say they shouldn't have?
1: Who's funding the police you mean?
8: Yeah, like Yeah, that's kind of where that's where my thought is. But um but yeah. And and on and on the um education point. Mhm. Like I said, smaller class sizes help. We can, mm-hmm. like especially teaching math, and especially with um Having an algebra, having algebra two classes where I have to literally spend all of quarter one reviewing algebra one, because most of my, because I got on level students. In other Mm -hmm. words, students that didn't try or literally like cheated their way to an A in algebra one, but then don't know a damn thing when I go into algebra one review.
3: Mm -hmm.
8: And my principal's looking at me like I'm a jackass, spending all of quarter one on algebra one review, but. That that's that's another issue. I'll I'll mm. live with that, but but again, it's just with um with 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 Coleman, with Coleman and like a lot of other black conservatives and and I also have this issue with some with black liberals too. It's like, brother, like the big the bigger picture is the system. The bigger picture is class society, capital, all that shit. That's part of the bigger picture. That's why the whole property tax thing with schools doesn't work. Because it, cre- it literally creates a class, uh, it literally is classist in the fact that you can live in an area and it feels like you're living in two two different worlds. Mm-hmm. So it's just like, some, it's just like he was hitting surface of things, but how are you even, you're not even getting at the detail. I guess he's, like I said, I guess he's a decent person, but, like, that's really my deeper problem.
1: Yeah. Well, I, I understand that, and it's, you know, that's the kind of the cost of having these relatively short conversations with someone who has some significant ideological gap, but I'm I'm glad you got something out of it, and I appreciate that despite your skepticism, you still, you know, appreciate some aspects of the, the episode. You're a tough crowd, Eric, so I appreciate you calling in, and thank you for listening.
8: yeah, yeah, no problem. Like I said, you had me nervous about this, but <laughs> I guess it was—I guess it wasn't too bad. It's just there was still some left to be desired, but whatever, I'll—I'll I'll deal with it.
1: <laughs> High praise. Thanks, Eric. Keep the faith.
9: All right.
1: Bye bye. All right, Carolina boy, what's on your mind?
9: Hey, Bree, can you hear me? Loud and clear. All right. Cool. So, um. Yeah, I was listening to some of the episode with Coleman earlier today,
10: mm-hmm. and
9: you know, I've seen some of the stuff that he's done in the past. And, um, you know, I, I would, as far as like the black conservative sphere goes, I would I would definitely distinguish him from a Candace Owens or a Larry Elder or mm-hmm. a Jesse Lee Peterson. All, all of those mm-hmm. are clearly just, you know, bad faith um, actors. And, and those labels we were talking about earlier, I think it is fair to apply to them. But um, even though I do have strong disagreements with Coleman, but one thing that I was thinking about—that something that I've noticed recently—that I think is, is important for the left to pay attention to—are um, you familiar with uh, Tariq Nasheed and the in this uh, foundational Black American FBA movement?
1: I am. What do you know about it?
9: Um, I've, I've 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 followed Tariq for. Um, I've followed follow Tariq on, on Twitter for a while now, and um, the way that I've seen this movement shape uh, I think is something that's overall uh, generally a bad thing. I, I do think there are some good things that I see coming out of it, but um, I, I don't know how uh, closely you follow Tariq, but um, he, he's definitely like the, the face of this movement. And then also I know that Tariq, I think he's close with um, – uh Teslin who I think you've had on your show before and they were at the this uh rally for reparations in DC over the weekend that, that was hosted um you know by by this movement and you know the things that I like about it I I do like to see an unapologetic you know black first militancy sort of ethos with um trying to push for that's you know against the duopoly for pushing for uh reparations and uh not trying to um seek validation from the white uh, dominant society. All of that I love, okay? But this movement is different from th- th- you know d- different flavors of these movements we.
1: Hello. Carolina boy, I heard different flavors of these movements and then you cut out. Carolina boy? Dear, can you guys hear Carolina Boy? Uh, okay, I'll bring you back um, from the Abyss, Carolina Boy. I don't know what happens because I cannot hear you, and I don't think anyone else can hear you either. Yeah, no one else can hear you either. I was really curious to know where you were going with this Tariq Nasheed stuff because I gotta say. He's a problematic king. (laughs) Um, I understand the appeal. I was very pleased to see how many people turned out to that rally. I think problematic people can do great things. I am concerned about some of the nativism that has come out of the FBA ADOS uh, movement, despite being an ADOS myself. And having a lot of sympathies and strong support for reparations in particular. Um, But it's a slippery slope. And I also have to point to the fact that I have been a target of Tariq Nasheed. He is not a big fan of what they call miscegenation. And at one point I had the crime of having a a Chinese-American boyfriend, which he did not take kindly to. And pulled a bunch of public pictures from my Facebook. Oh, he's back. Oh, can you hear me? I can hear you all of a sudden. Oh,
9: dang. Uh, Did I go out? When did I go
1: out? When I said you went out. (laughs) Sorry, like uh, 90 seconds ago.
3: Oh, have you not been able to
1: hear this whole time?
9: Uh, No, I haven't been able to hear till now.
1: Oh, I said what the last thing I heard was, but now I forgot what I said the last thing I heard was. But basically, we're just talking about the reparations rally. And that was the last I heard.
9: OK. Yeah. So I was just saying, I was just saying, Tariq and um, Tariq and this FBA movement, they hosted a reparations rally last weekend. Mm-hmm. Their, their whole movement is this, you know, um, unapologetic uh, B1, uh, you know, black first militancy and, uh, you know, and th- that they're against the duopoly, that they're, um, you know, fighting for uh, their cause and their people. They're not seeking validation from the white dominant society. All, all of that stuff. I love, but I I was saying the the problems that I see with this movement is that um, it's becoming just as antagonistic to anybody who is not of um, slavery lineage, someone who's not a foundational black American in Mm -hmm. in their definition, they're becoming just as antagonistic to them as uh, virtually anyone else. And, Mm -hmm. you know, Tariq will frequently host these Twitter spaces where, um, you know, he'll speak to he'll have people calling to his show. And a lot of these things that he's uh, like said on um, his own, um, I think he has like a YouTube channel or something like that, um, has, you know, made a lot of uh, immigrants from Africa and the Caribbean really unhappy. And so some of them have been calling to his show and he, and then him and his whole crowd, they, they go ruthless uh, on these, um, uh, on these people just because they're not of black, uh, they're not of, um, uh, they're not descendants of slaves. And there was a, there, there was some, uh, Somali girl that called in, that you know, Tariq was saying she had a bo- big forehead, looked like an alien, and she probably had a musty burqa, all this really Ooh. nasty shit. And yeah. so, he sucks, I, I didn't guys. That... <laughs> he
1: sucks. He has always sucked. Look, I, sucky people again can do good things and have a couple of good ideas. Hashtag Marjorie Taylor green, But the man sucks. He was a pickup artist. And a misogynist whose whole thing was teaching people how to get white women. He had a video on how to get white women, how to get Asian women, how to get Latinas. And then he turned around and decided he was going to be Mr. Hotep King. And criticized everybody who ever dated anybody who was non-black at the same time that that was a whole foundation of his whole being. And has been largely substanceless and like a whack version of that guy that just died, who just at least was entertaining. Saying
9: this type of stuff about them.
1: Yeah, I would not join a movement he was uh, leading. Personally, I will look to other people for advocacy for reparations. But if other people find him to be useful and it helps to center a cause that I think is worthwhile, that I say God bless, and I wish him good luck on his journeys.
9: Okay, yeah, I I I I agree that um, yeah, I I agree with that. But like I was saying, like I do think certain things are beneficial about it because the way that the right these days. Um, you know, uses um goofy and and cringe liberals who you know will like uh th- those up on Capitol Hill who will take a knee with the kente cloths for Black Lives Matter and mm-hmm. and do all that really you know uh, really cringe symbolic stuff. The way that the right you know uses them and tries to make it look like see reparations or Black Lives Matter or all this sort of stuff, justice stuff th- that's an elite movement and all that. Okay, I, I think I think it's beneficial having a movement kind of like this. Um, you know, uh, unapologetic black first type of movement that, um, is is headed by those people that, you know, is pushing for these things. But, um, you know, I I fear that they could be doing more damage than good, and I, I just think it's something that the left needs to uh, pay attention to because I've seen like it. It seems to me like it's gaining a lot of popularity. Just this whole movement overall. Yeah,
1: look, I think that the reason it has an appeal is because black people have no respect from our political parties. And Mm -hmm. black Americans in particular are, I'm sorry, they are getting sidelined in really meaningful ways. You know, affirmative action is about to go down, honestly, I struggle to care because it has not for many, many, many years been a policy that really benefited. Right. Quote, unquote, foundational black Americans, whatever you call it, we call them descendants back of the day. I don't know why they keep coming up with these new terms. Um, <laughs> it is a lovely thing for already affluent, largely, and six, you know, high, you know, uh, degreed African families. <laughs> um But, you know, it's not serving its purpose and it seems like a workaround against just giving people reparations. Just give the people the reparations and we can stop playing these games. Um, I think that there, we saw the, like we're talking about an episode titled You Ain't Black. You, we don't get, the the voting rights bill was stupid anyway, but we're not even getting that. We're not getting, Uh the George Floyd bill was stupid anyway. We're not getting that. We're told every year that we have to vote really hard for other people And there's new tragedies and the new tragedies are bad and other people are hurting and we should all have solidarity. That's of course true. But black people are the ones that are getting yelled and screamed at. Like we're ungrateful and not even black anymore. If we don't bend the knee to the democratic party.
9: Yeah. And and people are getting pissed off. And And I get it. That's something about the movement that, that I see that's beneficial. There's a very clear anti-duopoly movement, like against the, you know, against voting, unless, um, unless, you know, uh, without any conditions and their condition is reparations. It's kind of like before the 2020 election. Um, a lot of people were getting mad at ice cube because the, right. I guess they misunderstood what he said, but he was talking about, you know, he wasn't, um, uh, offering any endorsements or supports. Yeah, to I know we had ice cube unless, on the show yeah. at the time.
1: We had him on with Derek yeah. Hamilton. Oh, the,
9: wow. Yeah.
1: The key reparations scholar.
9: Yeah, exactly, and so I, hundred I, I percent, and Ice Cubes everything that he was talking about too was also specifically for descendants of slaves. Okay, mm-hmm. which which I totally understand and agree with. You know, for from a reparation standpoint, it's totally fine. But um, and and I, I think I don't know if Tariq and Ice Cube had a had a collaboration or, or something like that. I don't know. They may have, but um, he, I'm just seeing that this thing is morphing into not just like anti, um. Non FBA, you know, it, it, there are a lot of things I'm seeing a lot of things like this that are, are um, standing against what the left stands for. You know, him and his uh, the people in the movement say a lot of very homophobic, anti LGBT stuff.
8: Mm-hmm.
9: Um, Sir, yeah, Google yeah. Hotep. Yeah, I'm, okay. It's I wouldn't call it like the, I would say it's maybe it's a distinct type of Hotep because I would also think of Umar Johnson and that Hotep sort of mm-hmm. crowd, but Umar Johnson, he, he's different. Like he's a Pan-Africanist. So he wants, he wants to support all black people, like, you know, for uh, Carib- you know, black people from the Caribbean and, and Africa all over the world. Like the, the, you know, I'm thinking him and Tariq had a, had a big beef there. Both their movements are are pretty uh, antithetical to each other. Um, and so, um, I definitely think, uh, Umar Johnson, like his, you know, his, um, the, the way that he um he approaches this, I think, is a lot better. But um, I, I'm just saying, like, I feel like this whole thing of, uh, I I I, I can appreciate, you know, this black patriotism, um, is kind of like the, uh, Adolf American descent Slaves thing that uh, they were calling it a few years ago. I can I can appreciate all of that, but um, it, it seems to me that they, <laughs> it seems to me like they they essentially don't want. Any allies, and and they're and this movement is just becoming like too antagonistic to anybody that they could form a coalition with. That that I could fear it could, it could you know uh pass it could push a lot of people that we need to unite together with away from people like Candace Owens and, and this right who who I m- might say you know they always love to praise you know say look at all these Nigerian immigrants they come here and do well that's why all y'all black descendants of slaves are lazy or whatever okay which I understand they they say that and that's the problem. And, that gives Tyreek and them this fuel to, to sort of, you know, generate more of, you know, look at this Caribbean descendant talking about uh, talking about us FBA people and stuff. I, I see where it comes from, and I just think it's something the, the left needs to be cautious about. I, I think it's important to have, you know, a non, um, uh, you know, um, the uh, our minorities, people of color, un- united to um, make a change. <sighs>
1: I don't know what to tell you, my friend. I will not be getting engaged in any Tariq and Nasheed foolery. <laughs> That's not my ministry. Someone okay. else
9: can deal with that man.
1: I, I, I nominate my friend Teslin.
9: Yeah, because I saw much Tesslin, better. She was at that, that, that rally. She, she collaborated with Tariq. She was at the a rally for a great rally. I supported. Yeah,
1: I know, but sir, that is not my journey. Mm. I have paid my Tariq and she dues (laughs) and I will not be engaging further with that man. But God bless that journey. (laughs) I wish everybody well. I, that is not my pay
9: grade. Did did you have any interaction with him?
1: Yes. I had the interaction of him smearing me to his million followers and posting intimate photos of me and every non-black person he could find on my Facebook to the internet and then calling wow. me a bed wench.
9: yeah wow that's terrible
1: <laughs> correct so that is not my
9: journey <laughs> right and- but god bless how their whole anti uh, interracial
1: I have no yeah. circ- I think that everyone should ignore Tariq Machine he should just fade into the ether and there is no need for him to be a part of any conversation about reparations as far as I'm concerned there are there's Derek Hamilton Sandy Darity kind of went off the deep end but even he's out there uh-huh. there are people <laughs> in the world who are yeah. scholars and good people yeah. Teslin
3: uh-huh. you know, there's
1: You know, so I thank you for calling in, but that is not my journey.
9: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no problem. I'll I'll just leave with I I just think if the left could learn to sort of just adopt some of the the ethos and tactics from this as far as just as far as, you know, not framing, you know, us being pro social justice, you know, doing it in a way that doesn't make it easy for the right to, you know, to show that it's all these, you know, cringe a goofy liberals that makes it just look like an elitist sort of movement. If we can make it look like a more populist movement, which is the one good thing that I see out of this, I think um you know that could help us in like a time when you know the public's become more anti-establishment. So that's yeah, amazing. and I
1: I believe we can do that without
9: Tariq Nasheed. <laughs> yeah, no, I I hope so. It's I it's just I I don't like that. It's almost like the the way that the right frames it these days is just like if you mention that racism exists, you're woke or you're an elitist or you know mm-hmm. you're, you're a coastal elite liberal or in this blue enclave or whatever the buzzwords that they use, part of the ruling class. Like we need to take that back, is what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. for sure.
1: Well, thanks for calling in, Carolina boy. Yeah,
9: thank you, Brian Have a great day. You too.
1: Bye
11: bye. Keep the faith. How are you doing, Grace? Doing well. Um, I really appreciated the episode today. Also, I feel like tonight's call has had some, like, really, really good... um, I especially appreciated both Eric's and Jam. Yeah. Um, But, yeah. Um, And I was curious, I don't know if other callers want to speak to this, like, how people's local elections went. Mm. Um, Because all of our left- is and left ish candidates lost. Um where are you again remind me? I'm in North Carolina. I'm in Asheville. Mm-hmm. Um where but I mean I what I've been tracking like even in like larger like liberal cities, you know, I've been tracking like the Democrat move rightward, you know, mm-hmm. for my friends who live in other places. Um so I'm j i was just curious like how people's, you know, city council races and stuff like that went. Um, yeah, because I was scream. I, I I actually, I did, I did start yelling at this episode today for a little little bit, but also I was driving in like some kind of very nonsensical parking lot situation. (laughs) So (laughs) I could have been displacing my rage, but (laughs) when he, when, um, yeah, when he was saying like, what if we, you know about defunding education. Um, I was just like, education has already been defunded. Literally yesterday I was handing out flyers because there's like a, um, you know, like a food and beverage worker org that's starting up. Like, and you know, a waitress in a restaurant tells me that she's all, that she's there after her job teaching high school biology, which she has a master's Mm. degree for. Um. (laughs) and yeah um yeah education's been defunded and they've come up with another strategy which is charter schools which mm-hmm. now they're saying are going to be you know all these religious charter schools um but yeah so i but i really watched you know how um i don't know i just thought i just thought his whole all of his takes about policing were it was just such an interesting like, he's like, well, what, how do we know if we, um uh, what it would look like to not have them because we've had them for so long. People, we have them for stuff and reasons, you know, I don't know. Yeah. yeah. I, it, it, um, yeah, I don't know. I, yeah, I, I thought the fence analogy, I mean, you know, we,
1: we kind of talked through it a little bit, but yeah, I, I do. I do think that a lot of the defund people in particular are very frustrated by how people behave as though they just came up with the notion and then just started talking on the internet. Um, And like there hasn't been research and planning and years and decades of efforts at reform and more moderate proposals that have been tried and failed and that they've come to this place not because they just stumbled across a fence one day in the woods, but because they've been researching actively what this fence is supposed to do for years and come to the conclusion that it needed to be revised.
11: Yeah. And there definitely needs to be, I mean, messaging needs to, um, have you heard, um, I, I'm going to butcher his last name, but Alec Karakatsanis. Um, yeah, like I love the idea of like putting it again, you know, of talking about like what actually, I mean, what do we consider safety, you know, like Mm -hmm. just bringing it back to that. And, um, but I do think that that, I. I'm, I really do think that that influenced this election a lot overall um, and like put the, the Democrats went, you know, went all law and order, even Stacey, you know, I mean, Stacey Abrams, but maybe that's to her. I don't know. I'd be curious to know if that was actually effective because I think what I'm concerned about after the midterms and I don't know, like, are you concerned that this reinforces the, you know, vote or else um, yes. that it works again? And I don't know if you saw this. I don't know if there's been a new development or what,
1: but um, David Zerota just tweeted um, uh, two screen grabs, one announcing that youth turnout helped Democrats win key races on election night data, sh- data shows, and then the next one which says Biden's plan to relieve billions of dollars of student debt ruled unlawful by Trump judge. I don't know if that's something that just happened. But apparently, a judge in Fort Worth ruled that the Heroes Act does not allow for president the president's forty four hundred billion dollar plan to advance, which is kind of what we called wow. on the show when we said it shouldn't be the Heroes Act. <laughs> Damn. Um, and uh, David tweeted uh, this seems deliberately vindictive, and so yeah, like that's one example of like I am afraid that. Like Democrats winning just means that everyone got fucked, that everyone got the wool pulled over
11: their eyes successfully and they got away with it. They got away with it. And then they're going to say the same thing again next time because they're like, it worked, yay. That's why I don't vote for these people. (laughs)
1: Like, I'm sorry. I I would rather be in a situation where I didn't support Democrats, they did something wonderful, and I just felt bad. Like, oh, shucks, I should have supported them. Oh, I'm going to definitely support the next time, but that's never what happens.
11: <laughs> no. That's never what happens. <laughs> I was, um, I, I poll greeted, but f- just for local, you know, local stuff or whatever. But then most of the time, you know, no one, I mean, people are like, I know, you know, it's slow moving. So I end up talking for a long time to like the other poll greeters who were all Dems, you know? Um, and but I mean, just got into like super interesting conversation. But this, this guy was talking about protesting, you know, the Vietnam war and I was, and he was asking me what I thought young people were going to do. And I just said, not show up. Um, basically (laughs) was, I mean, because that's what, I mean, I I mean, I think so many of us are hanging on by such a thread. And then, so that's really interesting if they really all did come out. I mean, abortion, you know, I mean, that's, I don't know. <laughs> um, I'm, yeah,
1: it's I'm, a, it's a, abortion is definitely a thing. But here's, here's the thing about abortion. What are they about to
11: do?
3: Right.
1: Democrats, it, it, I mean, they're not going to be, you know, in power. They can't, like, pass anything because we want not have Congress regardless. But. Right,
11: but, like, North Carolina was really on the edge, like, in terms of the, you know what I mean? Like, Did you guys the- have a ballot measure? Um, no, we didn't. Um, but our, I mean, our, um, yeah, I mean, it's on the edge of, if our, um, you know, if I think we were like five, uh, like three to five seats short in the house, um, of North Carolina that would pass, you know, that they would end up passing all the laws and stuff. Cause right now we don't have, we have a governor that vetoes everything, but the, mm-hmm. they would have had a super majority. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, that's definitely important, you know, important. Yeah. Yep. Um, but you know, I, I'm definitely worried that that's, that's going to be the vibe as you know, from here on out and there's not, um, they're, they're not going to feel any need to change, but it just, um, I don't know. It just feels a little trapped in the, in the loop. Yeah.
1: Yep. <laughs> I mean, I was talking to, uh, I recorded today, Monday's episode and, um, I was talking to the guest about this and feelings of fatalism and you know, my increasing acceptance of the idea of being just an open accelerationist (laughs) for this reason, because I, I don't know, man, like are you looking forward to being guilted to vote for Democrats over abortion until you die? And that's the only thing like that. That might be the only thing until we all die. Is that they keep trying to get abortion and it's fresh now. We had all got, it got, had gotten a little stale since 1972, 73, 72, 73. I always do that. But, but now it's fresh again. It's hot in our minds. Dobb made it spicy again. And so now we're all just going to march solemnly to the polls, no matter what else the Democrats do because abortion
11: until we die. Well, I mean, that's what's so weird about the whole thing to me really is like, why would we say that voting is going to get to decide whether or not, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's like, you know, we're talking about half of the country here. Like, you're not going to tell me. I mean, it's just crazy that it works when they say you can't do this. And now people can't. <laughs> to me, I, I, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I... Um, But uh, yeah. I, I don't know. I wonder, I'll, I'll be curious if that like turnout continues. Cause I, to me, I don't know, but maybe that's just where my head's at is like, I literally just went to go vote for mayor basically. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yep.
1: I mean, do um, you see, we got
11: the minimum wage for. I tips. saw that. Yeah. There's things, th-
1: things happen.
11: You well, know, things are I good. There's, there's a lot happening out, you know, outside of that too. Um, I feel like there's like, bigger, um, I saw they shut down, like, uh, climate protesters shut down, like, a private airport um, for the wealthy yeah, people. Yeah,
1: um, Climate Human, but uh, Calmus. Peter Calmas.
11: Yeah, and, um, which, oh, I was at this, there's this organization called the Dissenters that's, like, working on colleges to get them to divest from, you know, like, war industry companies. Mm-hmm. Um, that, you know, I mean, I just, I think there are like cool creative strategies. I think, you know, that it's not like people are only voting yeah, and, and hoping for the best. Um, because I think there's a lot of momentum otherwise, especially, especially with the workers,
1: how much money did Stacey Abrams raise? No, let what's the most expensive. It was the Fetterman was the most
11: expensive, most money spent in that race. Right. I don't know. I don't know that. Um, let
1: me let me Google this real quick. How much money? Okay. Um, CNN reports a staggering amount of money has been spent on top Senate races in 2022. The five most expensive Senate races of 2022 have seen nearly 1.3 billion dollars in spending across the primary general elections according to open secrets. Three
12: hundred
1: and seventy five million on Fetterman alone. All I'm saying is that I am open to the argument that this is not the greatest use of time or resources. <laughs>
11: Or, yeah, or like mental energy, really. I mean, I didn't, I really didn't follow it that closely. Even on like election night, I, I literally, like, I went to the local watch party thing and then I didn't even check any other results. I'm like, if there's, if anything crazy happens, someone's going to um, tell me. But have, did you listen to your, um, the run up? It's like an NPR that's, they, they interspersed it into the daily. It's like a, it's a podcast here. Mm. No, I'm familiar, but I didn't, I, I stopped listening to the daily because it was making my morning sour. Okay. Well, the runner, I know I, I also really don't, I mean, I, I just go there sometimes to be like, oh, okay, what's NPR telling everyone, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, in the, the grassroots part two episode, there is um, it's towards the end. There's a woman that they interview, um, who just, who just really articulates like why she just doesn't, uh, she goes in on Democrats super hard, like in a way that I can't even believe NPR, like let, mm. let happen. Um, mm. <laughs> and, um, and was just like, you know, um, you know basically democrats are never going to do anything for me and my situation they never have you know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um and but they let her go on for like minutes and minutes um and it's really epic i definitely recommend it i actually really like the whole series um i think it it's different than their normal um style but okay i'll check it out but yeah um but yeah thanks thanks for the episode today i think that like being all of us just hearing you modeling um, what this kind of conversations looks like, I think is, is just in and of itself really valuable.
1: Well, thank you for saying so. I'm glad, I'm glad you liked it. And, you know, thanks for uh, tolerating my, um, my own cynicism. Me and me and cousin Eric, I think maybe it just runs in our family.
11: (laughs) (laughs) No, I mean, I I really appreciate all that. Have a good one. Bye.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Have a good one. Bye bye. All right, Isaiah. You're not a familiar face. Are you a first time caller?
13: Hey, Brie. No, I've called in like maybe like once or twice or something like that. Did you get a new avatar? No, it's the same. It's the same. Okay.
1: All right. Well, what's in your mind? I'm sorry. I don't know. Let me me look. So, I don't make this mistake again. All
13: right. Like, I gotta say, like right out the gate, I was really like interested in the conversation because. Like, he, like the point that he brought up when he was talking about how, like, we don't talk enough about, like, the progress that's been made, mm-hmm. like, that's something that, like, I think about, like, within my own life from time to time, where I think about how, like, despite the ongoing systems and historical systems of oppression, like, as a Black American, like, I'm in college, like, I'm, I'm doing well, and things seem to be doing, like, relatively well for me, mm-hmm. but then I'm, like, immediately dispelled from that foolishness when mm-hmm. I look at think about how much better my life could be if maybe these systems of oppression didn't exist or Mm -hmm. i look at my cousins who are living in squalor and like i i really have to wonder like like who is this conversation for like who like what like what good is coming out of like just looking at how how like how far we've come as people Mm
3: -hmm.
1: and
13: yeah just i just really didn't understand like it. It was perplexing, you know?
1: Yeah. So there's a couple of parts of this. One is that uh, this is what my mother says. My mother, my mother, her feeling is that basically the number of privileged black people ultimately is so small.
10: <laughs> that so it, few. It, <laughs> yeah. and, and,
1: and frankly, yeah. the privilege is so thin. And this is, I know, a controversial point because if you have none – And you don't care if someone else's looks thin. And I'm not asking anybody to play the world's smallest violin for me or anything. But, you know, (laughs) the absence of generational wealth, the fact that so many even successful black professionals are paying money to support their families. And there's a lot of this kind of invisible deficiency, you know, a lot of student debt as compared to our white peers who have the same level of education, fewer job opportunities, you know, the statistics about a black person with a college degree getting the same job offers of a white person who was a high school dropout, like all of those kinds of things. Right. So sometimes my mother hears me engage in these conversations. She's like, you're, you're giving up You're you know, you're overstating what you have. She's like, you actually ain't all that basically. (laughs) she's telling me, (laughs) and you know, you don't really have that much of a safety net and you know, don't, don't overstate it at the same time. You know, I'm not stupid. Like I talked to, you know i talked to white peers i talked to other people all the time who have had so much more difficulty who have experienced homelessness and all this stuff and it, it is humbling because if you live in a certain kind of a bubble you can start to like kind of like get high on your own supply and be sitting up in some harvard classroom talking about y'all don't understand my struggle and sounding like an insane person like, like that that definitely is the thing that can happen and has happened so it's a, it's a delicate it's a delicate little dance, but I think the real problem, the problem that we should all be concerned with is the extent to which a handful of privileged black people high on their own supply, who the privilege may be thin and they have problems and systemic racism still touch you, blah, blah, blah. Oprah still wasn't allowed to buy that $40,000 purse at the end of the day. Okay, whatever. <laughs> um, they are visible. They are Obamas looming above the country making a mm-hmm. lot of other people who don't have privilege very, very angry. And so they believe – did you see the study that just came out where they asked people like what they thought the percent of the population that was black was, and people think we're like 40% of the population?
0: Jesus Christ. People in their heads,
1: <laughs> they think we're everywhere. They think we are taking everything. They think we have all the scholarships. They think we have all the – job. like they, because of the visibility of like Joanne Reed, Barack Obama, and like Ellie Mistel and MSNBC – suddenly like it it is contributing to this vibe and all of this resentment so you know i'm like one tiny piece of the puzzle but i just want to be conscious of the fact that there's a way that i can end up talking that gins up resentment i think reasonably so because i'm putting myself like the conversation seems to center my struggles as someone who is more privileged than the vast majority of people in this country as emblematic of the privileges of of this of the problems of all people of all black people and then they say well if that's all black people have to deal with if brianna duet gray is the poster child for black struggle then i actually don't give a shit about black people <laughs> and i don't want to be contributing to to that to this that that's a thing that's like fomenting
13: no yeah i get that but i like i guess i'm just stuck on like i don't really get what his, what his like reasoning was for like putting emphasis on that like like as a part of the public discourse, like I don't really like get like why we need to be talking about like how far we've progressed. And and like, I, first of all, like I'm not even convinced that that conversation like isn't even happening. Like I think all the time we're we're looking back at like what our forefathers like MLK did and talking about like the the progress that's been made. Like, I don't, like I don't even buy that that conversation isn't happening, but just to the extent to which it isn't like, I don't really know why like it should or why he seems to think that it should dominate dominate public discourse in any sort of way.
1: Wait, what what is the it there? What do you think that he thinks should dominate public discourse?
13: Talking about uh, the progress of black people like as a whole whether that's like economically, politically, culturally like Oh, like, like so that part hey, of here's the thing. conversation.
1: I think that he means it in good faith, but generally speaking, it's nothing but a stupid trap. It's a stupid trap. And frankly, yeah. a lot of liberals fall for it. So a Republican will say, a conservative will say, you don't talk, you don't, Charlie Kirk did this to me in our debate. You you don't think there's a, uh, you think you, you act like there's been no progress. It's a complete straw man, first of all. And so I say, of course there's been progress. There's been tons of progress. I get to go to school. You know, schools aren't technically by law segregated. You know, many more Black people have received high school, college, and post college education than existed 50 years ago. You know the ozone hole yeah, is closed. Scrubs. Like there's there's things that have happened that are pro- progress. It's very unlikely that someone's gonna call me in the N word randomly in the street. Although if I lived in Detroit per jam, maybe it would, you know that, that that certainly is still a thing that's happening. You know, so all these things are you know. There's been progress. There's no need to fight that. Unfortunately, there's some like, there's a certain type, I won't name names, but there's a certain type of black public intellectual who will always take that bait. Who will always say, who will st- who go into an argument, who will immediately jump to, but look at all the problems that still exist, which is completely true, but they frame it as a, ref- a rebuttal to the progress point. Just a- admit that there's progress and then make the other claims about how there's so much more to be done. But what they'll do is they'll say, well, no, there hasn't been progress because schools are as segregated now as they were in 1965, which is true. But it doesn't mean that there hasn't been progress, right? So they'll, they'll find isolated areas. Housing segregation is still a thing. They'll find areas, you know, the black-white wealth gap is, is the same or worse. All of those things are true, but it makes you sound delusional mm. If, if someone's initial point is simply that the world feels better for black people than it did in 1965. And like, you can make all kinds of arguments. Okay, before integration, there was a better black middle class and we had our own teachers and doctors and things that got eaten up with integration. Like you can make, if you wanna spend your whole day making that argument, God bless you. Me, it's not for me. <laughs> I'm just gonna say, yeah, of course there's progress and then move on to saying all the things that I, I wanted still be improved. So, yeah, that, that, the reason that's such a big piece of the pie, and I'm not saying this is what Coleman was doing, but the reason it's such a big piece of the Republican approach, not even Republican, Stephen Pinker, all of these kinds of people. Andrew Sullivan did this on our episode, too. is because it derails the conversation about what needs to be done, mm-hmm. and they know it. So just don't take the bait. That's, that's my lecture. No,
13: that's... <laughs> i mean that's fair i i actually wanted to ask you about something else that came up in the conversation too that i don't really think was answered um when you guys are talking about like um like the emphasis on how there needs to be like a public reckoning of america's history with racism or like just the need that some like i'll give an example so like my professor at the school that I go to, like, we were talking about, like, uh, black historical figures, and he stopped the entire, he's a white guy, and he stopped the entire class to ask, like, one of the black students, like, if they wanted to read because he wanted to give us a voice, like, da-da-da-da. And, like, that, like, that type of shit, like, it makes me wonder, like, like, what is driving that, like, phenomena? Like, like, because it's it, it's not just, like, present in universities. Like, it seems like that there's this, like, interest in making white people feel guilty or, like, mm. white people, like, wanting to feel guilty or, like, 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 who is driving this? Like, is it just, like, bourgeois black elite that benefit from, like, like, using that guilt to, like, their own advantage? Like, because, like, I, like, let me tell you, like, as somebody that grew up in, like, a working class family, like, like you said, like, I'm not sitting here asking, like, for you to come and say sorry. Like,
3: mm-hmm.
13: give me my reparations.
3: Mm-hmm.
13: You know, like, and so, like, what, it, like what's driving that?
1: I, no no shade to Tadnisi Coates, but that's something that people, him, and that <laughs> there was, like, a whole movement of people like him. And I remember, I'm naming him specifically because I know for a fact that he said this. He wrote that mm-hmm. whole reparations article, right, that had everybody buzzing and talking, and at the end was like, we need a reckoning. I... <coughs> Brianna Joy Gray, handle whatever religious religious text of your choosing. I promise you, I don't care about your reckoning. I don't no. care if some 30-year-old white person who has no relationship <laughs> to some slave <laughs> owner tells me how sorry they are and how guilty they feel and <laughs> doing a land acknowledgement in overland. That's for somebody else. That's not for me. Like that's it's just ridiculous. not for me. So like I, I, there have been a lot of black people who and I think a lot of white people black, it serves the neoliberal agenda right to to lift mm-hmm. up black voices who will say all we need is an apology because that's great because that's all they're willing to give <laughs> <laughs> and you're gonna have to beg for that you know what I mean so mm-hmm. like i like i I actually like Tommy because as a person I just feel like. His his failure to include a class analysis isn't just about how important it is to have a class analysis. It's also what makes him a tool, unwittingly, but it makes him a tool of a society that would love for every problem that black people have to be resolved by kneeling in a Kente cloth mask (laughs) instead of handing over money, (laughs) which is
3: what people need.
13: Right. Right. No, no, um, I don't really have much to add. Like, I think you really just articulated my thoughts on the issue very well. Um, (laughs) Thank you for taking my call, and I hope you have a good night.
1: Yeah, of course. You too. All right. Jade. What's on your mind tonight,
14: Jade? Hi. Hi, honey. How are you?
1: (laughs) I'm good. You're a little bit glitchy, but I think you're coming through now.
14: Oh, is that better? Maybe? Yeah, I think, that, I think that works. Yeah. What's on your mind? Oh, you know, my internet's off on of my phone. I don't know. Let me know if you can't hear me. I think but... it's good
1: now. Yeah.
14: Okay, great. Um, well, y'all just talked about some things that I was thinking about with this conversation and stuff. So because the queue is long, I'm going to try to just focus on something I haven't heard talked about yet. Sure. Um, is that uh like I think well I think actually Eric brought it up a little bit with uh the the fact that you know defund the police it doesn't change things structurally, right? So it's like that movement um I think has some flaws as in like you know defund the police is such a vague demand, it could be mean anything. And uh, you know, the people who are going to be making those decisions about like changing whatever the funds are, are, you know, like they can't be trusted to appropriately reallocate funds to programs that would be beneficial to the safety of communities. So I just wanted to plug a campaign that's a national campaign. And I don't know, I think I've even talked about it before when I've called in, but um, about community control of police. Mm -hmm. Um. Are you familiar with that? Like?
1: No, say more.
14: So community of police is, uh, it actually like it came out of the Black Panther movement. And um, there was kind of some calls for it in the seventies. And so that's why you'll see like some like citizen review boards or things over police departments throughout the country. But what those are are watered down versions of what the actual call was for which would be like a directly elected civilian um, council that would have oversight over the police department in the community. Mm-hmm. Um, so they would have oversight, including like being able to subpoena like evidence for things like to uh, investigate cases of misconduct or police abuse um, over contract negotiations with like uh, the Fraternal Order of Police or, uh, uh, being able to like, uh, collect data and, and distribute it and, uh, even have authority on disciplinary measures and legal recourse, um, when it com- came to police misconduct or abuses. And, uh, that is something that, I mean, um, I, I, uh, you know, organized for in my own community, but, um, The reason I would say that it is more effective as a campaign over defund the police is that, you know, it's very specific. There's, like, guidelines drawn out for it. And it's also, like, revolutionary rather than a reform because it's changing the structure of power within the community and the police. Because right now, as the police exist, they serve capital, right? And they serve, like, they're not here to protect and serve the people They're serving capital and private property and the established system. Um, And so we need to change, like make that power imbalance, um, like rectify it so that the community and the people actually have control over what the police do and how they behave and act within our communities. So that's kind of the basics of it, but.
1: Yeah, so for one, I guess I do, I am a little frustrated sometimes because, again, defund people, there's, it's a a big umbrella, but there are a lot of different people with a lot of different plans that are actually quite specific Mm -hmm. underneath them. So the idea that it is like unspecific or, you know, vague or reformist, I don't think is accurate. And I also don't think that what you, I think that exactly what you described could be a defund plan. If the people in charge decide to reallocate resources in a way, you know what I mean? So I don't,
3: I I just always feel like. I I will say
14: that it's not contradictory to defund. It's just with more specificity about what that means. So there are a lot of defund organizations that work along with, and and this is under the, the campaign that's, Happening now is under the National Alliance Against Racist and Political Repression. Mm-hmm. So there are defund people under like working as well, as well as like abolitionists, and it's broad, you know. Um, but the first call is to be able to like give the community the the ability to like decide where reallocated funds are going to go. And that does work alongside defund. But yeah. um yeah. So so it's not it's not contradicting it, but yeah. I just think that people have valid concerns when it comes to defund because there are examples of, you know, like them, dis, you know, defunding police departments and the backlash and like how it you know, and then you end up with something even worse or more well funded or whatever, like the example in Texas. So um, it's good to go in with concise plans. And I think defund people have been working on that as well. So it's not to criticize, like, that movement, but just to, like, suggest something more specific with more, um, I don't know.
1: (laughs) Yeah, no, I think it's worth doing, again, like, a proper defund episode and and stuff. But, like,
14: I I, I just
1: worry because we've not tried to fund to the extent that there have been. Mm any little efforts that snuck through in the wake of 2020 if there was some backlash and people did shitty things after that's not defund's fault that's the shitty thing that was shitty <laughs> do you know what i mean like yeah the, the day that someone actually executes defunding the police department funding social programs and giving it a beat to see if it works i will have a conversation about defund doesn't work but i'm not mm-hmm. like I, I i have like a very low tolerance And and I'm not, you know, obviously upset with you, but, like, I just feel like everyone has gone screaming like rats from defund with, like, the tiniest bit of pressure, the tiniest bit of blowback. And I do not understand why everyone's acting so afraid of their shadow. We've literally not tried it. It's like saying Medicare for all failed because Bernie didn't win. Like, we've literally not tried it. Um, And so much of what's described is, like, either consistent with or you know inclusive of defund but it's like when it's it, when explaining one's plan if it's like a tacit smear of defund i just don't see that as helpful moreover this idea that what you described i think there's it's community policing great but i don't i don't it, it's frustrating to me because i don't see community policing as necessarily a more structural intervention than defund especially since communities i think are made i think you don't understand it's not
14: it's it's not community policing. It's a directly like um, yeah, elect- the community is in elect- charge of the police
1: ecotically- force. I get it. Yeah, but what it's what I'm not saying community is the Okay, communities are in charge of the police force, but communities are shitty. Communities are shitty. <laughs> there are a bunch of right wing school boards that are run by communities. So I'm not I'm, I'm not saying it's yeah. a bad idea. I'm just saying it's not some quick fix that's necessarily But well, There are also
14: some guidelines sh- about who could be elected for the board like they could not be like previous law enforcement they could not be like there's like specifications about it to try to prevent like some of those things happening and the idea is that the independent civilian review board would be a reflection of the community and like the needs of it like they'd be elected like in chicago the plan is around like school board like like the districts would be like the school board districts for the city. And, and so what happens um, when
1: more affluent people who have a property interests are the ones that run for these positions and you end up Well and they just have the to richest- live
14: in their in their area. They have, you know, there's like like if they were running as a warden or something. So I would just like I and mean, I, I hate to break it to you, but it's, like
1: the people <laughs> these gentrifying areas like everybody I know Every, like, woke, hipster, cool, leftist person in D.C. I know lives in some gentrifying area. They live in Petworth or something, where most people are poor, and there's tons of cops, I got to say, whizzing around all the time. But the cops are there to protect the new white people who've moved in. And the people who are likely to run and be invested and be on something like a community policing board are those same new people. Just like the person passing out, I just passed out of, I'm not going to dox myself right now but i just passed, passed someone handing out flyers for some local position in a gentrifying neighborhood this lovely smiling young you know late yeah. late, late 30s early 40s white guy who had a picture of himself and his latino wife and their 800 hundred dollar baby carriage talking about you know i'm from the community you know what i mean like yeah that's like, how I, understand. Go.
14: I understand that those concerns I would say, you know, like, this also has been, you know, like, like I said, you know, this movement comes out of the Black Panthers. It comes mm. out of our revolutionary history. It is, like, um, it, the idea is to structurally, like, adjust things. Like, if you want to learn more about it, mm. if you're interested at all, it's, at, like, you can look it up at uh, narper.org. So, it's n a a r p r .org and it kind of like gives an outline of kind of the work that's been done the cities that are working on this I know that there's a chapter in the DC area or a branch of the National Alliance and there's more there're more campaigns that the National Alliance works on like as far as prison reform and like other things too but like the central campaign is community control because um it's really about like uh Giving giving the community the right to self-determination to decide, like, you know, how the place is used in the community. And I understand that there could be bad figures who get in there. You know, like, I understand those concerns. But I think also there are already uh, self-interested bad figures that run things now. And so, you know, like, depending on them to be able to, like, I don't know, like, Uh, appropriately reallocate funds is also a struggle. And I know that defund campaigns might also have solutions for that. And like I said, a lot of defund um, organizers work with with the National Alliance on this campaign as well. So I don't think that they're contradictory to each other.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think. Look, I I I took the note and put it in the Slack, and I will definitely be following up. I think it's useful, and we should have an episode where a lot of different kinds of plans are represented. I didn't need to
14: uh, go off. On no, that. I, I got it. Like when you feel, like when you feel like something. I I'm I get not it. even no a defund
1: person. Like I don't even work in that space. But I, <laughs> I just feel like I'm in leftist spaces, and every time someone opens their mouth about defund, I'm not saying you did this, but like it feels like it's like there's all this heat, like. Just, I just wish everyone could talk about whatever they want to do without putting defund in their mouth. Like, let defund yeah. be. Because th- at this point in my life, the only people I hear saying bad things about defund are leftists. Like, no one else is even talking about it. It's just leftists beating up on this thing In my, from my perspective. I don't even hear conservatives really even talking about it. It's just le- leftists <laughs> are beating up on it before conservatives even have a chance to take a bite. Yeah, um, but I appreciate you calling I me. Mean, that's Thank fair. You. I understand.
14: <laughs> I'm sorry. No, okay. don't apologize. Thank you. Thank you. Have a good All night. Right. Thank you, too. All
1: right, Nick, you might be the last one because I see this key was long, but you guys like it's late and I have to go to bed like it's late. I'm not I, like I see my friend, the snowy, snowy yak, yeti yak. You know, there's some new faces. I see Kingo. That's fun. You know, I've never seen you. TJ, little little penguin. A little cold penguin, a lot of arctic a lot of arctic creatures happening today tz you're an unfamiliar family. oh does someone just next themselves okay you know what i'm gonna do i'm gonna call on who i want to call on i'm gonna call on some of these fresh faces Who should i call on for this last person how about you kingo i've never se- i've never seen this little baby marxist hello how you doing good hey, how- what's on your mind
10: yeah, so uh, I'll i just um uh, I really enjoyed the episode today. Um, uh, I just wanted to kind of like I really in- like that um you had like a con- conservative black uh person who kind of had comes from like a uh good good faith, you know, mm-hmm. um and uh I feel like. Um, something that I kind of noticed was like, he mentioned that his background, so he like grew up in like a suburb of New York city kind of, Mm -hmm. um, and that's kind of like a similar environment, I guess, to what I grew up in. So I grew up in New Jersey, like just outside of New York city and, um, kind of like an relatively affluent area. So there's not much crime you know like the most things like the things police do is basically you know every once in a while pull people over for like speeding tickets or whatever (laughs) that's like the Mm -hmm. extent to the crime you know (laughs) I guess um Mm -hmm. and that kind of environment I can see how like people like that's kind of people don't feel the kind of the like the working class, black experience. Um, if if you're in that sort of environment, you know, he mentioned it's pretty diverse. You know,
3: mm-hmm.
10: he uh, and I kind of had the feeling, you know, he probably didn't personally personally feel uh, experience that much of racism, I guess, in his like upbringing, and that's kind of where he comes from, where. And then he, you know, probably hears uh, what he thinks of as left people on like, you know, MSNBC or like CNN talking about racial issues. And that's sort of like where like the white guilt kind of perspective comes out of. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so I can, and I kind of think of that's more of like a, you know, I kind of related that, to when I listened to Candace Owens when she was being interviewed by uh, Russell Brand on his mm-hmm. podcast a while ago,
3: mm-hmm. and
10: so Candace Owens, I think, guy, I'm vaguely remembering this, but she she mentioned in her some at some point in her upbringing there was like an incident I think at her school or something where. There was an incident uh, uh, where she didn't think it was, like, racially related. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, for, but for some reason, maybe, like, the faculty, like, overreacted in her perspective and kind of made it. Into oh, a racial...
1: you know what? This is the thing about Candace Owens is that she school she sued her school. This is the thing about her background her family sued the school and won a significant settlement for some racial discrimination. I'm going to Google this. Go ahead. Keep, keep talking.
10: Yeah. I, I kind of vaguely remember that. So I feel like there's like a connection there where like they feel like there's kind of an overreaction about, uh, black racism, even though it's very prominent in, I guess, outside of their experience. Um,
1: Yeah, Um, here's the thing, though. I think that with respect to Candace, that's some revisionist history. I think that racism things did happen to her. So the Stanford Board of Education, this is Connecticut, uh, paid $37,500 to settle settle a federal lawsuit, which claimed the schools failed to protect a Stanford high school student, Candace Owens, from racial attacks. The settlement agreement, attained under a FOIA, uh, States that the school board has 30 days, blah, 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 blah. Um, Let me tell you what happened. Okay. The lawsuit um, filed against the Board of Education in 2007 in New Haven Federal Court for knowingly failing and refusing to protect her from continued harassment from students who left death threats and racial and sexual slurs on her cell phone's voicemail this past spring when she was a student at the school. The lawsuit um, alleged that the Board of Education took no action on Owens' behalf after she and her family reported a series of threatening phone calls on her cell phone to school authorities. The voicemail contained two minutes of death threats, racial slurs, and sexual epithets recorded by three or four male voices, allegedly white male classmates of Owens, who was black. In one message, the callers take turns making death threats, and another, a single racial slur is repeated over and over and over. We can imagine what that one was. Okay, So it seems to me like Some some shit happens You can feel however you want to feel About the money or whatever But racism was Done to Candace Owens This was not like what I would describe As an exaggeration And whether or not you want this to be like The example of what racism is in America Like a high school kid getting bullied Isn't like the biggest racial Justice issue of our times It is real and it was mm-hmm. racial, and it was bad, and it shouldn't have happened to her.
10: Yeah, I never actually looked too much into it. I just thought of uh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and like kind of the I and he, he um what was it uh Coleman? He was he, he meant he talked about like the pro- progress thing, and it's kind of like you know it's like kind of progress made by whom, and like it's like mm-hmm. in spite of whom, you know, mm-hmm. like. It's its progress is made kind of in spite of the system we have and people struggling for those that progress and it's not because of the system we have that we have made this progress you know, um and that kind of comes out of like this idea of like American exceptionalism and kind of how history is kind of warped in our edu- in the narrative of how America has. Kind sort of, you know, come this line, have progressed linearly uh, over time, and has progressed and stuff like that. Um, and then I think that that kind of ties into um, how people view, like, you know, the progress that we've made as like a product of, you know, it's just like you know, we're forming a more perfect union, union type of I- idea. Um, so yeah, just kind of wanted to mention that. And one one thing, like, kind of unrelated. Um, so have you heard of like the Party for Socialism and Liberation?
3: I don't.
1: I don't think so. Tell me more.
10: Okay. Right, so, I uh, kind of recently, sort of started interacting with it, and it's like, it's a par- party, like a. You know, revolutionary. You know, party. Uh, with you know, uh, we have well, we're like you know anti-imperialists. So we're we you know, we we believe like you know, we, as long as we're in like a capitalist system, we can't and uh, uh, fight ca- climate change and stuff like that. So, and there are you know various chapters around the states. And, you know, I kind of recently joined an incoming news, so I'm not really a good spokesperson for it. And I was kind of wondering if I can, like, you know, see if we can uh, get in touch with someone who can talk about it better. What's it called again? Party for Socialism and Liberation. Um, We we just, uh, the party actually just released a new book called uh, socialist reconstruction kind of looking at you know sort of the party program for what socialism would look like in like the first decade or so of uh uh hypothetically you know u.s the u.s became we you know we had a revolution and what it would look like from then on
3: mm-hmm.
10: uh and so some so there Kind of two names that come to mind which is one is eugene eugene prayer he's like one of the hosts on breakthrough news mm-hmm. with like Ron and uh he uh i think he actually ran ran as a VP in uh, one of the election years uh mm-hmm. maybe two elections ago and so he, I think he might be a good person to talk about it with. And one, one other person is Brian Becker. He's the host of the Socialist Program uh, podcast, which is also, you know, uh, uh, posted on the Breakthrough News YouTube channel. Um, so I was just wondering if you can kind of. Yeah, if you can, you know, get in contact with them, kind of spread, have, have them kind of present the party a, a little bit for a broader public audience. would It would be to. kind of good. That's a uh, great idea. I, like, so
1: I, I took the note yeah, and I'll definitely like follow the,
10: up. Yeah, and it kind of t- ties into, you know, like the third party kind of conversation um, that kind of exists already <laughs>
1: For sure. Yeah. Th- thank you for thank you for that, Kengo. I've been wanting to have gene on for a while, and so I appreciate you calling in. Mm-hmm. All
10: right. Thank
1: you, and keep the faith. Thank
10: you. Yeah, you too.
1: Okay, BK. You said it was short, so like truly, I'm holding you to it. Don't don't make a liar out of you. Are you here, BK? BK going once. BK going twice. I tried. You can't tell me I didn't try. And then there was someone else who was making a lot of noise in the chat. Oh, BK, you here? I see you unmuted. I can't hear you, though. It's a real tough situation. If a caller calls in the forest and nobody hears it, did they really call? Oh, that's rough. That's rough, BK. Oh, so close yet so far. Okay, Shelby. You also claim to be able to be Hello. short and sweet. Hi, Shelby.
15: Hi. Thank you for calling me up. Uh, um, I really wanted to talk to you about Kyrie and get your thoughts. Okay. Um, okay.
1: Is this going to be a short and sweet Kyrie? Because Kyrie's a uh, whole other bag of worms, yeah.
15: Shelby. <laughs> yeah. it's probably. She,
1: look, Shelby, I... I, I I'm open to this conversation. I think it could be an interesting conversation, but not one to be had at 1122 on a Thursday.
15: I know I've been on the whole call. I'm sorry. I know. I know. I'll call in the next time. Hopefully I can get, get in. Look,
1: I'm fascinated by this whole thing that's happening with all of these characters and would love to convene a panel. Someone who actually understands what's going on with all these black Israelites and all of that jazz. But so maybe we'll just do the episode and then we can all just talk about it and get into it because there's no way we're gonna be able to do this justice with the level of energy that I have remaining wow. in my tank.
15: really get it. I just want to get your take. I'm a long time listener and um, I find I'm finding myself agreeing with Candace Owens and and Jason Whitlock, Whitlock online. So I'm like, I need to hear what Bree thinks because I'm losing my mind. <laughs>
1: okay 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 what what aspect i don't know that i know who jason wentlock is but what what is candace saying that's resonating with you right now
15: uh let me i have to find the the tweet but basically what what she said was that uh basically shutting people down and censoring them is the wrong way to approach if people are presenting uh bad arguments then it's best to address them publicly publicly and iron it out and get to the root of it
1: But did we have to get Candace Owens to say that? I mean, if Candace Owens said, you know, the sky is blue and pizza is good, I would also agree with her. But I wouldn't go around saying, you know, I'm agreeing with Candace Owens on a lot of stuff
15: these days.
1: Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know what I mean?
15: (laughs) No, I guess what's frustrating.
1: Oh, where'd you go, Shelby? What's frustrating? You said, I guess what's frustrating. And then I lost you.
15: Jason Woodlock is this super conservative that's
1: uh, been around for a long time that annoys me Shelby, you're going you're like something weird is happening with your audio where it sounds like all of a sudden you were at the end of a very long hallway. I mean, I can hear you like from the other end of the hallway. Hello yeah, now you're back.
15: oh yeah, yeah. yeah my um. My headphone went out and then and then it uh, came back in in my pocket. So messed
1: okay. up. So you you were saying what, why does does that particular message coming from Candace? Because a lot of people think we need to have more debates. A lot there's debate culture on the left. There's a lot of people who think you know sunlight is the best disinfectant. I don't think that's a particularly Candace Owens or a conservative approach to discourse. So what 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 is it? Is there anything more than that?
15: No, I guess my my take on the Kyrie Kyrie situation. I'm not religious at all. And what I and I watched that whole documentary. It was oh, do not, not 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 well done by, okay. by any stretch. But basically what I got from it is that black people are the true Israelites. And that's what it was arguing. And I know I feel like being around enough black religious people, I feel like damn near all of them believe that. Jesus is black, and <laughs> we're the true descendants. So, if we're canceling people for uh, that sort of take, you're going to cancel a lot of black people. I okay. Just felt so, like really, how- really
1: quickly, my understanding is that it's not just that; it's specifically uh, the reason that it's, it's considered to be anti-Semitic is because it like challenges the origin of Jew like. Who we normally consider to be Jewish people. Sorry, no, right. no disrespect to Kyrie, but like it, the, of Jewish people to in their claims to the region and their history to their their links to the region, and it's not just saying that hey, I'm black and I'm Jewish too in a kind of Ethiopian Jewish way. It's to say that we are the real Jews and those other ones aren't fake Ju- are fake Jews. And I mean that's what Kanye so, was saying. Yeah, right?
15: it's it's kind of it's kind of saying that not super directly, but it's kind of like well we're the real is- Israelites. i mean that's so pretty direct bye. <laughs> bye.
1: i'm the real israelites is pretty direct i don't know how yeah, more direct that I, can get
15: I, as a non-religious person i'm like all of these are fairy tales <laughs> so yeah, I, I, i'm with you
1: I, <laughs> i'm just telling you what it is like, fairy so,
15: tale more more strong than somebody else
1: yeah so i i understand what you're saying and so for me as a non-religious person to me it's like some random the crazies want to say that they're jewish too, no skin off buyback. I don't care. But I'm just telling you the reason why people care is because it's there's like apparently a long history. It's like with the river to the sea stuff, like you have to tell me that that's a trope. I don't know that to be a thing. So if you tell me that that's a thing that gets you fired from MSNBC, Margot Millhill style, I believe you. But like I it's I think it's one of those. So again, I haven't seen the thing so we should just not have a bunch of conversations. You don't want to hear from me because I actually don't know anything about this. But if at some point that changes, we should definitely have a conversation, and I hope you call back in and to talk about it, Shelby.
15: Okay, we will do. Take care. All right.
1: Take care. Keep the faith. Um, TZ, I kind of like leapfrogged over you to get to Shelby, so I feel like it's only right that I call on you, and I think you're probably going to be the last one. What's on your mind, TZ? Although I see you, Adrian. You know how I like to scream your name. I see you, Fractal, but we talked, we talked on Monday, so I'm not feeling that guilty about that. TZ, are you with us? All right, TZ, if you don't answer, I am going to go, oh, BK, what happened to you? I was going to call on you, and then you disappeared. Okay, BT, you know, you were saying interesting things in the chat about this Kyrie stuff, too. Okay. Oh, there you are. Okay, BK, you're you're it. Say your say your piece quick, quickly. If you if you can.
12: Okay. Well, <laughs> yeah. I, so many thoughts got triggered that it's hard to be. But uh, yeah. So uh, can I call Monday, and and and. Uh,
1: oh, you're gonna you're gonna hit us with the truth about Kyrie and explain um, all of these uh, anti-Semitic tropes to us.
12: Well. Uh, Well, okay, I'm the kind of Jew that when I'm around Jews, I'm not a real Jew. And then when I'm around, uh, when I'm in a cow town, (laughs) where I've I've worked most of my adult life, you know, I'm, I'm the only Jew people have ever met. And then I feel Jewish. Or or like, there was like one time when I was like, afraid for my safety. if like these violently Mm -hmm. anti Semitic people Mm -hmm. found out I was Jewish. Mm -hmm. Um, And I've been at like, a poker game in Canada where an Israeli was like you're one of us because he like noticed my nose so I feel like my, my Jewish identity is like complicated <laughs> in that way but I do I've I've had a lot of conversations with people that believe that Jews run the world um, mm-hmm. and <laughs> I I don't think that they're being like like that unreasonable like it's confusing for them to be told a story that uh Jews were the victims of their grandparents' generation. And then they all they see is Jews in positions of power. And that's confusing to them. And, like, my, my grandfather had to flee Austria when Hitler invaded mm. and wasn't allowed in the U.S. for five years. <clears throat> mm. But when he got to the U.S., like, because he knew five languages and was alo- allowed to get loans, things that African Americans weren't allowed at the time, uh... You know he, he progressed really fast, mm-hmm. um, and you know became a rich white person. And in my opinion, I'm I'm you know obviously white. Like of course, like my grandfather would have. Yo yo yo! A that's
1: wh- a spicy
12: claim. I got <laughs> dragged for days on Twitter. <laughs> well, for <it, laughs> title an I, episode, RG is white. Yeah, go ahead. If I was like quantum leaped back to you know a whites or and blacks drinking fountain, I know which drinking fountain I would use. Mm. Um. So, I mean, in the U.S. I'm white. In the U.S. In right now. Because it's like, this is all made up, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but, so, like, in as much as it's real. <laughs> um, but when I actually have these conversations, like, about how these things work, which is like, I, I, I took Ta-Nehisi Coates to mean reckoning is in, like, having a conversation about, like, what animates all the stuff that, you know, our are, are material conditions. Um, I actually don't feel like it's inconsistent with a class analysis. Like, like, like closest person in my life. Like, when they were a child, a cop shot their dog right in front of them, and then punched their mom. Mm. <clears throat> and everyone involved is white, but like I understand that as being an, an outgrowth of American racism. Um, and I, I don't think that people are dumb. Like, I, I think that we can, like, have these conversations. And I I, I found that Ta-Nehisi Coates, was, that, that very essay has been, like, like a helpful, like, inroad to, like, make people kind of have, like, a Copern- Copernican revolution about, you know, because people just can't imagine, like, the world any other way, you know? And then it's like, I actually felt like The Wire, <laughs> like... It it radicalized me, it feels like, more than the people who made it. Like, it made me like, oh, we don't need cops. Like, obviously, all we need is investigators and social workers. There's no need for people to, for us, for taxpayers to pay for the gas and the car and the man hours, for people to drive around depressing people. Unless your aim is to, you know, protect property and keep certain people in certain parts of the city, which has become more and more necessary... Like I, I grew up in LA and uh I the, the I really want to speak on the victim mentality thing. Cause like like my parents were crazy and um I feel like people in Narcotics Anonymous like raised me as a teenager. Like I went to rehab when I was fifteen and I, I went to meetings every day. And like I knew a lot of people from South Central who like it took me in years to understand that they like didn't qualify for food stamps or public housing or were able to vote. And like Never complained or explained that to me. there was no victim mentality, you know um, mm-hmm. but I think <laughs> but like where I feel like that comes from is one's own psycholo- like 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 even though he's not uh uh, uh your guest uh, Coleman Hughes, he's not from South Central, I gather, mm-hmm. but he's still black, and like
1: I think he's afro latina latino actually i think his
12: mom's latina he's black and there but right yes, he's, yeah um and so like i used to i used to look like tignataro <laughs> way back when i was a girl and i feel like that 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 entered the room before i did mm-hmm. and that was something i always had to de- like cope with and i imagine that being black is, is similar to, in that way um and 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 there's this want to cope with it by like, like it, it feels like, like it's the Bill Cosby telling people to pull up their pants, like on some level, mm-hmm. you're like unless if you weren't ashamed on some level, then why would you even care what other people are up to, you know?
3: Mm-hmm.
12: Like if there's people out there calling themselves purple, why do I care? Unless it's queer people on lips of TikTok, um. And maybe I'm ashamed, right, of my own community. Um, I'm sorry. I thought you weren't going to call on me. (laughs) Uh, No, no, no.
1: (laughs) No, I I hear what you're saying. Um, I don't – look, I I think that you're right that many people who, frankly, have been victimized by their circumstances don't actually have a victim mentality, and that cuts both ways. I think that it is frustrating for some conservatives to be – basically castigating liberals, black people, brown people, whomever, for having a victim mentality when so many people don't. And I would argue maybe should so that they can take advantage of social programs (laughs) that exist for them and also organize themselves politically and all of those kinds of things at the same time that I think that sometimes people who also are victims in the way that Candace Owens, I think, was genuinely victimized by a bunch of racist little kids at her high school and, you know, the black kids at Harvard shouldn't have had the police called on them for playing soccer in the yard or whatever. Like, those are also victims, but it just shouldn't be the priority. And I think that it's a category error. Like, victim, not victim, like, that's not the issue here. The, the problem is, like, who is as a, as a society should be maybe prioritized? Um, and who, you know, it does, when does it become a problem that a certain kind of class of concerns becomes a stand-in um for a larger group in a way that's not really representative. Um, and in a way that is so distasteful, frankly, that makes people it makes people who actually do have issues that need to be addressed because they're being victimized in like meaningful ways, don't even wanna identify with, with that need. And so therefore don't get political attention.
12: Right, and, and no one learns how to articulate you know, any of our positions, like you talk about all the time, I, I've been thinking about how, you know, I grew up like a girl wanting to play girls sports mm-hmm. and like got a lot of pushback for that and, and was not like armed with anything to like say or, protect. you know, like I have it now, 25 years later and everything, but, um, uh, yeah, we, we, I, I guess uh, I appreciate, you know, you, like everyone else said, you having conversations with opposing views uh, so that we can learn how to articulate our few points is like one of the big things we get out of it. And someone said you, you're a really good like model for how to do it and just how to be a, a normal, mature person. You know, um, I'm like a crazy person. and You're a good model.
1: Well, no, like I say that in front of my friends or my mother who I just shoot out of my apartment at three because I was like, I told you. Mom, I had a call in, and also, don't you have a flight at ten anyway? <laughs> um, tell them that I'm a mature and whatever person, and they'll laugh you out of the room. But I'm, I'm trying. We're all trying, and I appreciate you calling in, BK. You, you've been insightful, and great. All of you, the callers have all been great. I'm sorry those for those of you toward the end where I've lost my patience a little bit, but I, I'm. Every day I say this is not going to go three hours, and you guys trick me. You tricked me into going three hours, but I really, I got to run. Y'all have been great. I'm so sorry for everybody I didn't get to. I'm, as always, going to try to prioritize some new callers and fresh faces, but also I want to validate those of you who get in the queue and are so consistent and who are always giving, giving, giving to this group. So either way, you're great. You're going to love Monday's episode. It's a great guest. Keep the faith. Oh, God Damn it. I listened to everything on double speed. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Say it loud.
3: One more time. Say it
12: loud. <laughs> I've worked on jobs with my feet in my hand. You know, all the work I did was for the other man. Now we the demand a chance to we'll do things for ourselves. We're tired of beating our head against the wall and working for someone else. Say it
3: loud.